Don't forget to like and subscribe. For more information, check out the Gate Expectations podcast on YouTube, Facebook, Patreon, Twitter, and Spotify. Welcome, everybody, to the Gate Expectations podcast, where I bring in a weekly all things Yu-Gi-Oh! and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. This is the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 23. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out earlier podcasts with guests like Stephen Trevinoski, Jesse Cotton, Team Samurai That's One, Farfa, Crush Cards, and many more. Today is going to be a special episode because I'm doing a year in review of 2020, but I'm not doing it alone as I have a returning guest the first time ever. He's recently released his first video of his Sealed Place series and is successfully back into Yu-Gi-Oh! It's Ryan O'Rourke, a.k.a. Ruggles. Ryan, man, thank you for coming back on the podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. It was such a pleasure the first time. I think immediately after we talked, we said, all right, need to do that again. Need to just <laughs> set some time aside, have a conversation with a good old friend, and I'm happy to be back. Uh, absolutely, and I, I wanted to bring you back because I... First of all, like we've been like near and dear friends for like God knows how long. I want to say at least like fifteen years, something, yeah. something along that line. And then, not to mention, I know you told me that you've watched a lot of my podcasts. You've been a big supporter of my stuff, as I have been of yours. So I thought, you know, let's get a person in. First of all, that people know and recognize, such as yourself. And then, you know, you also have like a knowledge of the stuff that I've been putting out. So I thought. Hey man, why not get Ryan? I don't. I don't think I could have thought of a more perfect person. So that's why I had to invite you back on. So thanks again for coming back. Hey man, it's honestly hard not to watch your podcast. I mean, I have your page up right now. I'm just loosely looking at the names, but we have Dale Bolito, Stephen Trifonowski, Sam. You've got Gabe. You've got Dominic Couch. Like really, really cool players, and it's great to listen to. It's fun. You're obviously an excellent host, and again, it's. Uh, <laughs> It's great. There's a lot of mutual respect there. Of course, man. I appreciate that. And I, I've always said this before. And I think I said it on the last podcast, and I say it again. And I, I love like the video production uh, of your YouTube channel because it's it's the giant draw that I think is so fascinating about your channel because the, the, your quality is so much better and it's above the rest because I know you went to school for this kind of thing as I went to school for journalism. So mm-hmm. we're really like applying like real life you know, education to here on YouTube, which has been <laughs> fantastic. So, you know, like I'm kind of weak in like the video editing department. That's and I can't do graphic design. That those are kind of my weaknesses. So that's why I like I kind of have a podcast because I can hide my weaknesses and yet show off my strengths, which is my broadcasting, my interviewing, and my talking skills. You know, my personal personality, the best way to put it. And you, of course, like you still have like a wonderful, you know, stage presence as well as you have this like beautiful little like video collage coming out at us, which again, draws me to it. And I'm glad that your YouTube channels has seen a ton of success as of late. Yeah. I've been getting really lucky with that algorithm. I've had a lot of people being incredibly supportive, very lucky to be where I am and uh, always, always very grateful. And I think that, you know, this all started about uh, a year ago. We're kind of going back to 2019 when this happened Mm -hmm. because it was November 30th, 
2019 where like you and I kind of saw each other again. It, it was kind of a weird thing because you went away for school and then I moved into your hometown for about roughly two years going for school. And then as I was on my <laughs> way out, you finally got your way back in to Belleville, Ontario, for people who want to know what this is. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of a funny thing how that all happened. But yet, like we always had our paths crossed, you know, one way or another and have to be that regional for one thing. And then we had another regional the following month going into, you know, January 2020. And then, you know, it felt like a really good start to the year. I, I thought anyway, I mean, like the format seemed like a little bit balanced, like people kind of happy with the way things were going mm-hmm. uh, for the most part. And like Yu-Gi-Oh was at, uh, an all time high at that point, I would think. And especially for returning players as well. Like, like for you, you were making your big return at that point. Yeah. So I guess this episode really is a summary of 2020, correct. And us leading kind of into it. And I think that, it's such an interesting thing to start off with those regionals because they are, I think for a lot of us, the height of Yu-Gi-Oh! It is what you work Mm -hmm. towards. It is so much fun. You get to go and hang out with your friends. You get the road trips. You get to put your deck to the test and it's a fantastic time. However, we haven't had many regionals this year. Yu-Gi-Oh! has looked incredibly different and I think it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. It definitely is because this is something completely unprecedented, something we've never had before. And I know that people are like sick and tired of uh, having to live the lives that they've had to because of this pandemic really affecting their their lives. So, And we've had to see so many changes throughout. I mean, there was a period of time where once we were all into lockdown that we didn't even get to play any Yu-Gi-Oh at all. I think mm-hmm. it took a little while before Remote Duels finally got debuted during the middle of all this yeah i mean konami tried to launch it um earlier on in the pandemic they launched a discord server and the community (laughs) kind of had some fun with it konami decided to cancel it momentarily and you know a little bit later they brought it back but it was definitely a rocky start though i'm really glad it has caught on because there are some really great remote dual tournaments there are some really great remote dual streamers i feel like i watch pack and his tournaments all the time and for anybody listening at home who is a big fan of pack david Bowie did do a podcast with him so go and check that out after this if you uh if you're interested but yeah i think that remote duels are surprisingly great mm-hmm. it's it's definitely different for sure because i've had some differences playing remote duels uh, compared to playing in real life because well first of all my my camera setup is not the greatest mm, it, it's right. it's okay it's also like i'm using my phone both to like point my field and i also have to look at my phone to see my opponent's field like i don't have a second screen i mean really i could just make a second discord account and then use my laptop to view it on one end and then use my phone to do it i could do that but i'm i'm lazy as hell <laughs> for that so i'm gonna be straight up to myself here i really don't feel like doing that but uh, nonetheless though like remote tools is definitely a different take than what you have in real life dueling like i mean there's still some like psychological aspects of it but just something about it is just a little bit off for me when it comes to doing remote tools okay. yeah like for example it's i like to like check through my opponent's graveyard pretty thoroughly and it's a mm. little bit harder to do that now because 
I've, I've had a lot of people like way back in real life duels where like I asked to see their graveyard, but they wouldn't actually let me see the graveyard. They're just like, here, I'll just, I'll just fan it out for you. You go ahead and look at it like that. You get those kind of like jerks or the people that kind of like, kind of like skew the rules a little bit mm-hmm. to try to gain whatever advantage. I remember like I had like one like YCS match. I'm not going to mention when or where, cause you can easily look it up, but I played mind crush. And that was at the time where like, e- where once you reveal the hand, you got to reveal the hand, right or wrong. You have to reveal it. Right. And the person just like flashed it and back. I'm like, well, hold on. I didn't, I didn't <laughs> get to see it a little. It's like, well, I showed you my hand. I'm like, well, I'm like, I'll let it slide because I already know what your hand is and I've got, and I, I've got you pinned. So whatever. That's fine. Yeah. I've got you. And, and I won. And I won the match. So I'll, I'll put it that. But still, it's, it's just a little bit harder to do that because like I check graveyards. And I mentioned this to, this to an individual I won't mention yet. Because that this that actually hasn't been aired yet, but you know when I look through uh, when I'm about to win or lose, I always like to like look at my opponent's graveyard and absorb all the information that's in there. It's like okay, there's this card, there's this card, there's that. Okay, and then like when I go, get the siding for like the next game, it's like okay, I know they're playing the, that many coins at least, so let's side in this side of it. You know, I kind of right. use that knowledge to my advantage. It's a little bit harder to do now with remote duels, for example, when we're siding, and I, I've been having like side decks into these these fun little matches that I had with my friends on Discord. It's interesting you mentioned that. And I do think that remote duels do take away from the competitive viability of the game because you just simply can't interact in the same way that you would. And it is significantly harder to retain information or check to regain information. But I think that might actually be strangely one of the reasons I enjoy it. I feel like it's more of a casual and comical experience in that Mm -hmm. sometimes you're playing against someone and because of glare you literally have no idea what cards on the board (laughs) i was watching a stream where farfa was playing and he was playing against this really nice guy and the really nice guy notes that he has a zombie world and i think a aldrock on the board and farfa looks at the board and we're all looking at the board through the stream and it it's two very white pieces of cardboard because of the glare (laughs) it's like all right i guess I guess I'll believe you. Like, sure. So, again, I, I definitely see where you're coming from and that it's not necessarily the most competitive avenue. But I think that it definitely renders some really comical instances. And I feel like it almost takes off some of the pressure because everybody recognizes that there are real limitations to it. And mm-hmm. maybe maybe just having some fun with it for this year isn't the worst thing, especially in double VFD format. Yeah. So, for, first of all, I could totally picture Farfa saying that. He's like, oh, I guess I'll believe you. Because that, that's <laughs> yeah. kind of the guy he has. Like I said, he's kind of the, he's the, kind of the jester of Yu-Gi-Oh! in my mind. Like, he, he's always cracking a joke, whether it's, it's at somebody's expense. Someone's getting burned on him, for sure. That's just oh, he's the hilarious. way he does it. Yeah, he's yeah. so funny. But, 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 I mean, that's just a big draw of him. That's that's what he does. He likes to burn people. Like, I remember he was, when, I, when I did a live stream of him, sorry, sorry, when I did my podcast with him, he was live streaming it to his audience on Twitch. And then I remember when I told him, I was, okay, let's, let's do my spiel before I can, because technically this wasn't supposed to be broadcasted, but he can broadcast it for all he wants on his, on his Twitch. Doesn't, no problem, whatever. And when I did it, he kind of like zoomed in on himself and kind of like tapped on his noggin when I was doing my stick as if he was like ridiculing me or something. I coughed that. I'm like, yep. I'm like, that's, that, that's far for you. <laughs> like, I didn't hold any ill regard, but I'm like, 
that's just what he does. And like, that's something you're going to expect. Like he's probably going to burn you or mock you in some way, shape or form as you're interacting with him in some way. Cause you know, that that's a stick. That's what he does. Yeah. But he, he's totally just having fun. And I know that on multiple instances, when people have brought up the idea of starting a podcast, he almost always points to you and he's like, look at this guy. He's a professional journalist. He has all of these incredible names on there. Like Yu-Gi-Oh! podcasts do exist. And he's brought you up in a number of occasions in this very positive light. So you know that in those scenarios that he is kidding. And he's just trying to have some fun. Oh, yeah. I, I never took any offense to that at all. I kind of g- I g- I giggled a little bit. And then I thought, yep, that's Farfa. <laughs> yeah. that's, you know that's him when he's making a joke at you for it. And again, like, I don't think he didn't even know me before I, when I asked him to, to be on the podcast, which was really cool. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the case with a lot of the podcasts that I've been doing about half the people that I messaged and reached out to, like they didn't know who I was or I didn't know who they, or at least I didn't know who they were. Like personally, of course I've heard of them, which is why I would bring them on, but I didn't actually know them at a personal level. And then the same with them. So it was, you know, it was really nice to know that these people would actually, you know, we'll take time out and really give you like a real conversation about something we love, you know, what, given the opportunity that they have, like, so, like, you, for, for you, example, like, you know, we're, we're having this conversation right now. We had a conversation before, like, we, even though we were, we were buddies, we still were able to take the time out. Mm-hmm. And then imagine that complete strangers are, are doing this to you, too. Like, something you see on TV and, like, and like oh, now they actually want to have a real conversation with me. And it, it's pretty enlightening to have this kind of thing with uh, other people. And that's, again, that's kind of a reason why I wanted to do this podcast as well. Because, you know, we, we see so many people on, on YouTube or whatnot. But, you know, that's kind of a that might be like a small version of what they actually are, who they are in real life. Cause we are at the end of the day, we're all human beings. We all have our own lives to do. And I thought, you know, this would be a nice take to kind of like shed some light on that. Yeah. And I think that it's been great. I think the fact that you are able to continuously get great guests on, it really attributes to that. And yeah. with that, I am really curious because everybody on this podcast gets questions. It's always you, you're the interview interviewer. However, we're uh, on a kind of a fun episode here. We can bounce back and forth. It is. And I'm curious about 2020 and you and how you felt about it. You noted that we started off with the regional grind, that you felt like it was a great format. What were you Mm -hmm. doing at the start of that? And how do you kind of feel your gameplay has progressed over the year in terms of the time spent at it and really your enjoyment of the game? All right, so let's we'll have to rewind back to this, and this is going to go back to even though it's 2019 in this sense, we'll go back to that regional again that we were talking about back in uh, late November 2019, and uh, at that time I was I I just recently graduated. I graduated earlier that year in May, and I finally landed like my first like journalism job around middle of August as a freelance sports uh, sports journalist. And and then eventually, I I got back the my old card shop job because a, a guy decided to quit and take another job. So I thought I'm going to take it back because it fit in with my schedule. So that all worked out. But of course, when you work at a card shop and you're working on tournament days, you really don't get to practice and play as mm-hmm. much because you, you know you're working the events. So I thought, okay, because I'm working a lot, my skill level goes down and down and down a bit. So when I went to that regionals, I thought like I. My goal is always to try to top eight every single regions I go to, but expectations are always different depending on how confident I'm feeling. And at that day, I was feeling like 
semi-confident. I thought I could go at least like X2, maybe X3, at least like invite-worthy for sure. I thought, okay, I can get an invite out of what this What were you day. playing? And I was playing a Striker mm. Orcust, which is like one of the most popular decks at the time. I think uh, True Draco, I think True Draco Striker at that time also like was fresh off a win. So there was some of that happening. And then this is where like I think like Triff, uh, Dominic Couch, they were running uh, like Stolmeister, which yeah. no one was running at the time, which like one of the best hand traps that would be played in the Orcus Mirror match at the time, which I didn't play. And eventually, and I started off uh, five nothing. I'm like, oh wow, like I didn't realize I was gonna like do this well, like right off the bat. I thought I was gonna get like a loss at least, like be like maybe four one or something like that, or like maybe like three one one. But I didn't realize I was gonna go five zero at that time with like the quote unquote lot of lack of experience I had with right. my deck. And then I had to play Triff, <laughs> and he was the only person that actually two owed me that day. Like I opened up like eh, hands on both games that he beat me, but definitely hands that I could at least like survive and then maybe come back in. But he he got me majority of the way, and then he actually beat me in time where he was able to score like the final hit on me. But I didn't uh, I didn't like stall on him or anything. I just let him go run it through. Like I think maybe there could have been a time where I could have said like, mm, hold on a second, maybe I can do something. But I, I really didn't. I'm like, yeah, just, just you got it, you got it. I'm not, I'm not gonna take away a win like that from him. I, I hate yeah. doing that. So like, he got the win. Like, maybe it could have been draw, but uh, I'm not gonna like think about it too much. Like, he's he's got it. He was clearly the better player in this win, so I'm I'm giving him the win in that one. And then it came to the last round where I was X one. So obviously I I win it. I'm winning in. And I get deck checks, and oh god, like my hands were like bad afterwards. I bricked both times. I was so upset. And, I, and this is not to take away anything from the other guy, um, who's by the way, his name is Mustafa. He's now called the Boost Yu Gi Oh! He's like, yes, I know yeah, up and coming, up and coming guy right now. Yeah, he's he's got a good thing going on right now. He's like quickly getting up there, so might be another guy I might have to talk to for the next season. But uh, I was going against him, and one his only loss was a guy I already beat. Wow. So so I thought, okay, I, 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 have, I have got a good shot at this, but then I break both games. I'm like, oh my god, and then I lost, of course. Again, like the, not not to like not to crap on Mustafa or anything. It was, he had nothing to do with it. But it's like you get deck checked and your deck is sorted. So the whole point of that story is that you know I thought I was going to go down, but I said I was going up and up, and I thought, okay, I'm a lot better than what I thought I was in the format that I've had like barely zero practice on. So I was kind of like riding a high and it was feeling good, and then go to march mm-hmm. where the ots championships were happening this was like probably the second week of march before all of us went into lockdown like the following week all of us went to lockdown and i won my ots championship i won it with like full power spirals with like triple magician right. souls yeah, that's what i won it with Incredible. felt felt a little dirty doing it but at the same time that was my second time ever running a spiral deck i never tested it beforehand i went in cold turkey with that deck into that OTS championship. And the only time I went, I played Spirals before was uh, the first world championship celebration mm-hmm. with Spirals. And like, I recently had like all my stuff stolen out of my car. So I didn't have a deck. So somebody lent me a deck. I was Spirals. I didn't know how the heck I was playing it. So I just kind of went off like the experience I had from playing against right. it. Yeah. But again, the formats were different, but I somehow came out with a win. Again, that's a local though, so I'm not going to celebrate too much. But OTS championship, maybe like a higher up local. But the, you know, it's it's just funny how like I can shotgun spiral and I can come out winning. And then that's where the lockdown came in, and I didn't pick up a single card for like the longest time. Yeah. I don't know about you, but that that was me. I was so demotivated to to pick up any cards and invest in the game. What about you? I 
I had an interesting experience with it for sure. I was all in on the returning to Yu-Gi-Oh series. We were doing the regional run. We had done three in like a two month period. It was so much fun every time getting a little bit better, uh, bubbling the invite on the last two. And I was really excited about the game. I saw that Eldritch was coming out and at the time, Mm-hmm. Nobody nobody liked Eldritch. Everybody thought that it was going to be fine at best. The pre-sales for Eldritch the Golden Lord were like $40 maximum. And I was talking to Jesse mm-hmm. Cotton about it, and I, I kept messaging him like, this seems really good. Like, I'm not crazy to buy a bunch of boxes and try to build this deck, right? Like, it's not it's not all that wild. And he's like, no, it, it seems okay. It does. It seems pretty good. And he was the only one who, like, had any faith in it uh, with me. So... Mm-hmm. Come uh, Secret Slayers, end of April, we're mm-hmm. kind of in lockdown, but there's still hope that things will open back up again, that way we will get regionals. People are talking about it. So I'm still investing in the game. I'm still excited about it. We get the Eldritch deck. It's incredible. You know, two, week three, mm-hmm. everybody's figuring it out. That and Adam Emancipator are the best deck. I am so excited to play some Yu-Gi-Oh! Get out, do those regionals. I don't think that... Aside from maybe 2008 Gladiator Beast, I don't know that I've ever had a deck that I've loved as much. And I mm-hmm. just couldn't play it. Remote duels weren't a thing yet. And real life duels weren't a thing either. So there was this format that I know I would have absolutely adored. And I played a little bit online, <laughs> but it's just, it, it's lost. It's gone. And it's so strange to have that occur. So anyways, hard cut a couple months later, here in Belleville, we don't have any active cases, and we haven't for a while. At most, we have mm-hmm. two at any given point because it's a very small town. So we felt relatively safe, you know, taking those precautions, wearing masks, social distancing. We reopen our locals. Mm-hmm. We have nine people max at them, and it's a lot of fun. But it becomes Infernoble uh, format where you have Smoke, you have Jet Synchron, you have, like, the best of the best combos. Mm-hmm. I go in playing that deck and I'm getting all of these two wins and I've never, I've literally never had an easier time playing Yu-Gi-Oh than with that Infernoble deck, but it wasn't fun. Uh, strangely, it, it was very much me going first, ripping the opponent's hand, setting up negates and just solitary. And that's not what I love about Yu-Gi-Oh. I love when it's more interactive mm-hmm. and opponents would have hand traps, but I'm sure, as you know, that deck was insane. You could play through two hand traps and still do everything you wanted to do. And I feel like we've moved forward in that direction. Dragon Link was great at that. Um, and I kind of feel like we almost dodged a year of formats that I wouldn't necessarily have loved post that initial uh, Eldritch format. And even then, Block Dragon was a, a little insane. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, so it's been a really weird year. I was very excited to play Yu-Gi-Oh! at the start. And then I got to play Yu-Gi-Oh! in the absolutely insane Hauke Fibrax, Jet Synchron, etc. formats. And it just it wasn't as much fun as Yu-Gi-Oh! was with the mid-range decks that we had at the end of 2019 with that of Sky Striker, Salamangrate, Thunder Dragons, Orcist, Striker Orcist, all of that. I think that was an incredible format. It was mid-range yeah. you could play a deck like heroes and bubble rejoice consistently and now heroes <laughs> are like a tier eight deck at best uh i love it i think it's mm-hmm. so much fun but like realistically the game is just 
so, so much farther right now than it was then. And I definitely miss the interaction and the less powerful decks, honestly. Yeah, because I'll, I, I was kind of glad that I kind of sat out mm-hmm. a little bit of the format because, like I said, I didn't pick up a single card for a while. It wasn't until probably late August, we'll say early September, is where I started to pick up cards again because uh, I was off. Uh, I was back to work at the card shop, but I was still doing all my journalism. So I thought, okay, this is probably the time now to start getting back into the swing of things because. No, I'm back at the card shop. I'll have like more access. I'll be exposed to the, my, the game that I love now a little bit more. So we'll get back to it. And I'm glad that I did or else like getting, you know, a place out of drop, it's a place out of talents and all that might be a little bit tricky to do now that, uh, you know, it, that those sets have kind of passed. So I'm glad mm-hmm. I did. But, but just kind of seeing those formats kind of go out, it's like, oh God, it's like, we're, we're going to these like, still the first turn like set up like broken boards again it's like oh i don't know if i really want to like be a part of that because like i'm not the biggest fan of those kinds of of those kinds of formats i know like this format's somewhat like it but it's not as bad as what it what it could have been or what Mm -hmm. it was compared to like a couple months ago or earlier this year so i'm kind of glad i sat on a little bit of the format but if you told me right now that okay dave how does how does dragon link work right now i I wouldn't tell you (laughs) Or how does Infernal Knights? I wouldn't be able to know because I never really got to experience those decks. And because of my limited test playing, because I'm typically working rather than playing Yu-Gi-Oh! Because, you know, I work at a card shop on top of my journalism. Like, I don't get that experience now. So if I were to play, and even Eldritch, I haven't even played against an Eldritch deck yet. (laughs) So if somebody brought that out against me, like those three decks, I'm like, I'm sorry, but I'm going to have to, like, read all these cards or, like, figure out what they all do. Hmm. And that, that's and that's gonna be like a, that was like a big problem for me. It's like as if I actually did like take a full hiatus from the game and then come back, which is almost what I did. But like I kind of kept track of what was going on. That's all. I knew what the top decks were. I just didn't know how they like actually operated. Was yeah, I think that makes sense, and I think that's fair. There's so many good decks in rotation, especially in the last eight months or so, that if you're not tuned in, it is easy to lose track. But it seems like Konami really isn't afraid to hit things on the ban list. And it seems like those decks will just keep cycling. So you might actually be able to sit out another format or two and then walk into IRL Yu-Gi-Oh! next year and actually be fine because all of the decks that you missed are just, they're gone. They, they just don't matter. Inferno yeah. right now, not great. Out of bad spinner, not so much now. No. now they've also now lost Link Cross on top of oh. the Black Dragon that they lost the format before. <laughs> So that that's the thing, and that's what was my thought process through it throughout it all. It was okay since I know I'm not going to be playing for a while. Like I don't need to really obtain these cards so much. I can you know slow down a little bit, maybe kind of pursue like my other other hobbies or other interests. Like for example, I took up golf this summer, which was like the first time I, I ever like golfed ever. So that was something cool. And then I started golfing every week. I'm still not good. <laughs> I still need to get my fir- I still haven't got my first birdie yet so I mean that's a thing but other other than that though that's something I probably will do now for hopefully the rest of my life because I enjoy it so much and I'm a little late to the party but like I I don't regret taking it up and I'm probably going to get more and more into it as I go along because I I doubt I'm going to be in Fugio forever but I'll try to be in it for a long time but it, it was nice to kind of like live a life without Yu-Gi-Oh for just a small portion for a little bit. I mean, I did play the video game for a while, 
just to kind of get get that itch out of the way if I really needed to because I couldn't have like in real life duels or whatnot and I didn't really play dueling book but it was nice to have that and then now that we've started to open up I've kind of got back into it now but I never made I didn't usually have multiple decks for example I usually have like one deck maybe I might have a second right now I have two decks and I almost I'm sorry three decks and I almost have a fourth ready to go like for example right now I have I have Chaos Thunder Dragons, I have Virtual World, I have Phantom Knights, and now I'm building, like, Drytrons. Like, because I kind of have all right. the stuff for it already. I'm like, I've never had so many decks before in my life. And, like, this is this is kind of foreign to me, because I like to just stick with one deck, and that's it. And if I want to change to a new deck, then I usually, like, change and then stay with it, because I'm so bored of the other deck. Like, once I got away from Salomon Greats, never went back to them again. And that, and that's how it's been. So it's it's kind of like been that for me. Like I need that kind of change of pace. So right now it's, I don't know why it is. This is just a weird anomaly for myself that multiple Well, decks. I've always loved the idea of having and playing, play testing multiple decks just so that you get that information on the opposing matchups. You know how those decks work. Mm -hmm. You know what the choke points are. I think you can really gain a lot of information for that. And when I jump back into the game, I tried to pick up pretty much everything and i've continued to do so just so that i have that information though admittedly right now the mm -hmm. two formats uh, the two decks i'm playing is a, a 2014 cyber dragon deck because of these series that i have <laughs> and mario and i from yeah. mario's gaming world we have a weekly goat series that's going on on his channel so each week i, I pick up a different goat deck and we just kind of have a match so strangely um <laughs> uh right now my my two favorites are are from quite far in the past i i don't think that you know, goat, anyone's going to argue that goat format is like a pretty paltry format. Like, I mm -hmm. love goat format. I love playing it. And like, I used again, I used to have a deck, but it got that was like I said, it got stolen out of my car, unfortunately. But I won't like shy away ever from playing a goat format game if someone challenges me and like I have like a deck ready to go. It's like, yeah, of course, I love playing it. But and th that was the time where I was a noob when it mm -hmm. was going on, like in its prime, I was still like a newbie, I was still like a really terrible scrub. I wasn't good at the okay. game. And so so once I finally got like semi-competent in the game, GOAT format had already finished and it transferred over into uh, like right. Chaos format post BLS, post Chaos Emperor Dragon. That was when like I started to become like, okay, I'm actually like decent at this game. I can win locals now for to put it into retrospect, to put it into perspective. Yeah. I can win locals. That was yeah. the thing now. I, I, I think that makes sense. I mean, People talk about GOAT format in a lot of regards as one of the best formats, right? I think it's up there with Plant Synchro, mm -hmm. maybe all of the BA mirrors, which I missed. But um, <laughs> I think that it's always interesting because realistically, GOAT format occurred two-ish years after Yu-Gi-Oh! came out here in North America. Yu-Gi-Oh! came out in, what, 2002? GOAT format was 2004. So... Like, there wasn't a large period of time there, and people were still just getting into the game. People were still just figuring out about the game. So I think it's completely understandable that, you know, not everybody feels incredibly confident in that format because while it's so well-regarded, realistically, the majority of the player base just wasn't playing at that point because it's so old. Mm -hmm. It definitely is, too, now, because we've seen a lot of, and, and I've mentioned this on several of my podcasts, but, you know, as we get older, as like 15 years pass, you know, our responsibilities mm -hmm. change, our time for our hobbies becomes much less. That's why I see a lot of players kind of like 
fade out of the game that would used to be like popular fit like 10, 15 years ago, because, you know, they, they might have families, they might have like jobs that take over and they might have kids and you know, that, that happens and that's normal. And then of course you get like your, your younger players that have maybe have been like, you know, seven, eight, nine, then like finally grow up now and they're like, they're in their twenties and they're like, they've got a lot of time on their hands while they're juggling school or whatever. And you know, they can, they can start playing the game now. It's like, Jesse Cotton, like I, I've seen him, like I've seen that guy for a while now, and like I've seen him as a kid, and like he wasn't like heralded as like one of the greats then, and then but you know eventually as he started to step into like his late teens and then into his you know early adulthood, then he started to become like arguably one of the best players mm, in the world now, and like he's he's yeah, and he's now like pretty much like in in the prime of his game. Uh, as far as you know, like where his age bracket is, like he's at the part where like okay, I've got time to like be able to invest this much time to Yu-Gi-Oh. It's, it's like when like Patrick Hoban way back in the day said like, oh yeah, I invested like 40 hours a week into Yu-Gi-Oh because that's like actually yeah. like a full-time job. Well, now we're starting to see like more people now that are kind of treating like the game almost like a full-time job because they're inve- able to invest so much time now. But you notice the pattern. It's a lot of like the younger like generation. It's like, it's all like the, like the Gen Zs that are able to do it now. Not so much now like the, the millennials now that are able to do this now because i can't really name up too many like people in like as a millennial now that um that are having so much success in today's age maybe jeff jones are probably the only name that i could think of but other than that i really can't think of so many other names that like are along i think that you had a really salient point earlier when you were talking about the age of the player and the amount of time they have because i definitely feel like i put the most time into Yu-Gi-Oh. And I was the best at it when I was, you know, going through high school, essentially, just because I had the time to expend. It was mm-hmm. fine. High school is relatively easy. It's spending time with your friends. It's great. So I felt like that was when I was most confident. Getting back into it, recognizing that I just didn't have time to play test during the week. I didn't have time to really go over different cards and options. It was really, okay, Saturday is my Yu-Gi-Oh! day. That is when I figure out what my deck does. That is when I go mm-hmm. in and I give it the play test. I make the video. I do what I can. And I think for a lot of people, it's that way. I mean, I'm very much, I think, in a fairly privileged position in that I make YouTube content for a living on a different channel. And that gives me more time if I want it. But because I'm building my businesses and doing what I'm doing, I don't afford that time. And a lot of people don't have the option to afford that time. So people like yourself mm-hmm. and... Uh, me we just it's just not there in the way that it was when we were younger there just isn't the time to invest and time does make you a much better player yeah it, that definitely that and you remember like way back in the day where i would uh i would travel to Belgium mm-hmm. from peterborough and i would you know it's oh it's only not even an hour and a half drive to get there it's like an hour 15 and i would like come to your locals like maybe like once a month once every couple of months and and plan your local and you know we can afford that time but now i find myself like on most weekends like e- like even pre-pandemic is that like i'm stuck doing something like i have to work or i've had like a- another engagement i have to do or i have to do like mm-hmm. some errands or something like that like i don't have like every weekend free anymore even if like work or not like i don't have that time anymore so that's kind of the you know the painstaking things of being an adult now is that you don't have as much time so you really have to kind of plan it out right like i definitely have could put more time into Yu-Gi-Oh if i really wanted to but whether or not i can put that time in it's like my skill level 
or rather like the time I'm able to put in Yugo than I did in years past is right. not going to be the same. Yeah. And um, to speak to the fact that you were playing with Spiral previously, like that's generally a deck that takes quite a bit of thought. You need to kind of figure out your combo lines. And that very much is modern Yu-Gi-Oh. A lot of the game is figured out before you actually get into the game. It's figuring out how you react to mm -hmm. hand trap X, hand trap Y. It's not necessarily the in-game interactions to such a great degree, like it kind of was back in GOAT format. At least that's how I feel. And I do recognize that, again, I'm not hyper-efficient in modern Yu-Gi-Oh. I think there's still so much for me to learn. Mm -hmm. And maybe higher-level players would disagree with me, and I wouldn't argue them in that scenario. Mm -hmm. But from my very base <laughs> surface-level view of it, I do think that modern Yu-Gi-Oh requires more initial prep than classic Yu-Gi-Oh does. And again, mm -hmm. that time is just so, so vital for being able to pull that off. You know what? There's, I definitely agree with you in a sense that when I, when I did use those spiral decks for those events, I would do a lot of testing mm. on my own. I would always like solitaire a hand and every single time I'd do it like 30, 40 times over again just to get that combo down. And then I would just kind of wing it a little bit, I guess, at the tournament when we go to like turn two, turn three, turn four. Of course, I definitely made like a misplay here and there or I definitely could have made like a better decision in some cases, but at least I would get my turn one mm -hmm. like down pat. And, you know, and you could do, kind of do that on your own time because like Yu-Gi-Oh has evolved into that way where we can do this huge uh, elaborate combo and we don't necessarily need somebody there. As opposed to goat format, it'd be like <laughs> set one, set one, T-set, set two, set yeah. That's my one turn. There you go. So, so there, at least there is an advantage where at least when you're older and you don't have enough time to be able to play with somebody else, at least if you give yourself just yourself the time, you can at least do like a full combo and like kind of get the workings with it. And then not, not to mention YouTube has been such a great resource now to like learn so many combos because you have so many people out there like for instance like yasin mm -hmm. like 656 great guy by the way love him who like who brings out these combo videos and like you can learn really quickly off it and like you kind of learn like a night or two of how to do the combo it's like the conversation i had with pack you know he's kind of new into the game as well but already he's seen like some fantastic success and i think this guy is an absolute like he could yeah. be topping ycs's if they were in right now like, I truly believe he, he has that that level of skill that he could be topping a YCS in his, like, in his first year, had it been around, like, when he was around. So it's like that because now that the game has so many resources and it's so easy to kind of, like, play on your own and test a bit, it's a lot – you don't need as much time now to be, like, that good as a, compared to then where it took me, like, two years for me to just become competent. And now you can be awesome in the yeah, game like, it's, in one year. Yeah, it's really interesting. And you can kind of fall back on bad de deck-building decisions to kind of allow you to play your game-winning combos, which I think is – Really interesting. The first week that I played Infernoble, you play Gemba as a Garnet. And I was like, well, what happens if I draw the Gemba? I don't know. I don't have time to learn. I memorized the main combo. So I'm going to throw a second Gemba into my Infernoble deck, which I can tell you right now is a terrible decision. It's an additional brick. It does not need to be there. <laughs> there are combo lines that you can work around. And I learned them for the second week. But the fact that for that first week, 
I didn't, I didn't have to do any extra research. I could just play the extra brick and I was fine because if I drew the Gemba, I had the second one in deck and I could still do exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't have to be a better player. I would have to be a slightly better player to mm -hmm. play a slightly more optimal deck, but you could take those shortcuts mm -hmm. and it was just this really ridiculous realization that I had there. The same thing goes with when Jet Synchron was in the format and O-Lion was your brick. Like you could just mm -hmm. play two O-Lions and you wouldn't have to learn all of the <laughs> other combo routes. So it's it's really mm -hmm. neat. And you, you just you didn't have that option back in previous formats. Though, again, I every time I say this, I, I need to preface the fact that I'm not incredibly informed <laughs> on modern Yu-Gi-Oh. I've played it for, you know, maybe yeah. nine, 10, wow, like 11, 12 months now. Uh, but time flies. <laughs> I, it feels really strange during COVID. I think I've only played for four months IRL and the rest have been COVID months, which have kind of been playing, but kind mm -hmm. of not. Um, but I, again, I do think it's important to note that I think that modern Yu-Gi-Oh does still take quite a lot of skill. I think that a lot more happens in a single turn yes. and understanding how to react to the opponent is incredibly big. And I, I mean, absolutely zero disrespect to anybody who is great in the modern format. I have no doubt that a modern uh, pro like say Jesse Cotton would take my lunch money in GOAT format every match he played. Like I, I have no doubt that that skill would extend yeah. <laughs> to those past slower formats as well. Uh, but it, I do feel like it is a different mm -hmm. game. Yeah, and I've discerned this with like, many other people. Like, for example, I think with Paul Levitin, when I had my podcast with him, it was like, GOAT format, if you, if you had a bad hand, you could at least play incredibly conservative, maybe play some bluffs here and there, and kind of slow roll your way back into it because the format, you know, there wasn't OTKs or anything, or they were very seldom or scarce. As opposed to nowadays... You really have to rely on like your first your first five cards and maybe your in your first draw, maybe your second draw. And if you if you're drawing dead after the first two cards, you're probably toast at this point in time. You're probably going to the next game. Where as opposed to the gold format, if I draw like mm -hmm. dead like the first two cards, I probably still have a little bit of hope. So, it, you know, so concluding this is that there's a lot more, a lot less margin for error now as opposed to whether it was before so i will give points to the newer format is that every single card mm. counts every single one matters you can't just kind of hold the card and hope you can play it like a couple turns later it's one of the things where it's like every single card has to be vital now then that's why we kind of see like the flow of the game just be so quick because that's just the the way the game has become it's fast so in order to be fast all of your decks have got to be fast. Of course, there are some exceptions where you play like, the trap wave decks or whatnot. But generally, that's just we've seen the route Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm -hmm. take throughout Yeah, for sure. And I guess to add to that, you have to be so correct with what you're hand trapping. If you make a misplay, if, if you ash the <laughs> wrong card, if you gamma the wrong option, you might just lose the game. And that's incredibly important. And that's a, a skill yeah. that modern Yu-Gi-Oh! players have to have. And they have to nail. And it's... It is a skill, and it's entirely respectable. Yeah, and then there, and sadly, there are some situations where, regardless <laughs> of what you hand trap, you could still be losing anyway. Which that that's a possible reality. But of course, at the same time, there, there are you know pivotal points in time where you get kind of like the mid game. It's like 
is the hand trap like best to use it now or later? And I have won so many games before because I've played, you know, lesser skilled players that have kind of, you know, ate the bait on the hand trap a little bit. And then I've been free to do whatever I want afterwards because they've had no, no other follow up to it, which, you know, causes me to either win the game or at least put myself in a winning position to win it like next turn or something like that. And that, and that just happens. And that's part of the learning process as well. But that definitely is like the decisions that you make now are, so much more critical and you have a lot less like time like you're definitely punished hard for every single move you make or you yeah. don't make for that like matter. i guess to put a modern and a classic comparison on the board here in goat format if you draw suboptimally and your opponent opens the best opening combo let's say they have pot of greed delinquent duo the ripping cards out of your hand they're getting an extra card that's extremely rough there is a chance you can still play out of that. You can still grind out of that. They're not going to OTK you unless they're playing maybe Reasoning Gate or just some FTK. But those weren't really all that prominent. Here today in modern Yu-Gi-Oh, if you don't draw great and your opponent does, they're double VFDing you and you just you lose. That, that's what it is. You could draw an Imperm. Mm -hmm. You could draw a Gamma. It's not going to get you there. And that's pretty wild. So it um it, it's interesting. Again, I, I I do feel like they're completely different games. I, I the more we talk about it, the mm -hmm. less fair I feel it is to really compare them, uh, and especially the <laughs> players who played during them. Though I do still think that modern greats could do incredible in classic formats as well. No, definitely because they because because the greats remain greats because. They've been consistent because like, mm. they know how to adapt to the game. They know how to get better. And not to mention, they're also carrying the skills of like what older formats give into the newer ones. Like, for example, I, I make this example all the time, is when my local had Yu-Gi-Oh! Day and everybody had to play with <laughs> structure decks with each other, everyone would always throw, would always like commit to the board and put everything on the table and I'm thinking an overextend, if you will. Like, man, I don't say that word <laughs> all too often nowadays in current Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> that, that's the way they would do. They would overextend. And I'm thinking that plays into my personal strategy. I like to be, play very conservative mm -hmm. off the bat and then eventually fend off their attack and then start to go hard on the offensive on them when they've exhausted all the resources. It's like the rope-a-dope strategy that Muhammad Ali would used to do. It's like, go ahead and punch me all you want. I'm just going to stand against the ropes and like the ropes will help me take the pressure off all the hits I'm taking. Once you're tired out, then I'm going to come swinging back at you and knock you out. And that's kind of the same strategy that I like to implement. Can't really do that as much now because everything's a little bit more all out. But, you know, when you could overextend back in the old days, you could get punished so easily because we had cards like, you know, Torrential Tribute, Dark Hole, Mirror Force. We had, like, a lot of, like, very good semi-situational, mm -hmm. like, mass removal cards. So you had to play it right, and you couldn't commit to the board. Like, for instance, like, if, I, if I've got, like, two back rows I see my opponent has, I've got one monster. At, odds are I'm probably just going to be swinging with that one monster and not like summon another monster and keep going because I don't want to fall into a trench of tribute to mirror force. It's it's just stuff like that. And that's what a lot of people did at that Yu-Gi-Oh day. They overextended and then they just got hit with mass removal cards. And then I would start to take over and just beat them down hard like the next following turns and they'd have no follow-up barring like some really lucky godly top deck. And I told I thought myself like man like you can clearly tell these players are like kind of newer because they didn't adapt those skills that 
like a lot of legacy players might have had a little bit more of way back then. Because, you know, like when we first met, we played like Gladiator Beast. So it was like bang, bang, back and forth. It's, it's you know, fist for fist. Like it, it had to be mm-hmm. a huge chess match playing against each other. So, you know, the, those kind of formats and the way like good formats. Yeah, exactly. And to kind of expand upon your earlier point of the older players having these ideas that they can draw back on to move them into the modern game. Again, I don't know that I was ever good enough to do that myself, but I do believe I recall in one of your interviews with Dale Bolito, he talked about how he kind of took a little bit of a break and then he came back in Mermail format. I could be wrong, but that he felt very confident in that because he had just so much history with the game and a lot of the decks reflected the older ideas. I'd be really curious to see if he still felt that way with like true modern Yu-Gi-Oh and classic Yu-Gi-Oh, or if he did still feel that it was the same same game, because I think it's quite debatable. Yeah, because be- yeah, we've seen him like take breaks in the game, and then we've seen him make a return, and then also even top events, like big events, still even with a not win, but he would still at least make the top cut, like something that probably about eighty percent of Yu-Gi-Oh duels yeah. would like ever dream of getting in being in a position in but he can do that as if he never skipped a beat so you know you can tell that maybe there's like a slight little rust on him which is typical it's just normal but you can still that like he's still got that killer instinct he still has that you know that dale bleed thought process which made right. him so great yeah in the first absolute place. legend man i also i while we're talking about really cool players in the game earlier you mentioned you and I just want to say, I love that guy. So friendly, yep. so informative, really yes, smart. I mean, the amount him. of combos he comes up with and the way he dives into decks, it's absolutely incredible And you're right. There's so many good resources. And I can't wait until actual larger events are back so we can see guys like that again. I think that was really the, the worst part of Yu-Gi-Oh! in 2020. It wasn't necessarily the formats. It was the fact that you couldn't really see, see yeah. the guys you know I, I think so much of us it is about that social yeah. aspect and i i for one cannot wait to see you again yeah Yasin is a absolutely fantastic guy and i i loved having him on my podcast uh the first time i met him was back at an auto regional both of us were three and oh and i looked like i had him on the ropes and i was going to completely destroy him and two oh him and then he came back and won two games straight against me I'm like oh man he blew me out and made a incredible comeback but i wasn't so sour on him because he was such a respectable opponent yeah. first of all a very positive guy very friendly and we would but we would always have a blast with each other. And then we played each other again, and then he 2-0'd me, and he, he basically I mean, knocked, he eliminated me out of the tournament, basically, because he put me at X2, and it put me in a position where I couldn't top eight anymore. Again, no hard feelings, because the guy is so awesome. I love being around him. And then I played him again a third time, and I, I beat him that time. But uh, again, we, I knocked him out of the tournament, but then I eventually got knocked out myself. But friendly guy to be around. He was always positive. I he always comes up yeah. like, "How you doing, brother?" Always give me like a big high five, big hug. That's just how he is. But I love the guy, and I love watching his combo videos because if I yeah. need to learn a deck like very quickly, I usually go to him and look at his combo list. Is like, all right, that's how I'm gonna do it. I'm probably gonna go to his videos and check out like dry drytron combos like once I fully assemble the deck so I can get some semblance for it because I love using him as that resource and I, I love that he can bring that to the table and like that's his that's his thing like i know a lot of people 
have like their own little combo videos or whatnot, but he's the one in my mind who is like one of the best that specializes in combo tutorial videos and that's that's why I keep going to him a whole lot. Especially with like the energy he brings and his positivity, man. Yeah. It's hard and not to, to smile add to that, like that it's not even just the fact that he has the combo videos that are very efficient. It's also the fact that he's very honest in them. Like incredibly blunt a guy while still being a very positive guy. It's a really hard line to walk. But when you watch his deck profile, he will be straight with you. It will be, you know, this deck has a better variant. And I put that up on my channel and you can go and check that out. But this is also fun. And for those of you who requested it, those of you who were interested in doing this, well, here we go. And I love that. It's not that, you know, this is like definitively the best version. It's like, no, it, it's not, but it's fun. And let's talk about it because maybe it's what you'd enjoy more. Mm-hmm. And he told me on the podcast that, you know, it's net, net decking somebody can mm-hmm. only get you so far. It's good in the short term, but he says that you should try to innovate yourself and come up with your own ideas and to integrate into your own deck. Uh, right. He yeah. just provides the skeleton. And then it's up to you to kind of fill the missing pieces with uh, whatever you want. Like, for example, when everybody was playing like True Draco with like Amato Iwato, like Demise Draco, with all the floodgates and everything. I was the one who decided, no, I'm not going to go that version. I'm instead going to play Invoked True Draco. That's the version I'm going to play because, um, you know, I don't have to rely on floodgates so much. And True Draco, or if I have to play the mirror match, True Draco's already have like, can already pop so many back rows as is with like the spell cards. So I can get rid of floodgates really easily. And not to mention that the floodgates are probably not going to work on me as much because we're playing True Draco's. So I thought I'm not going to run that very. And then instead I incorporated um, what nobody did, at least to my knowledge, Instant Fusion, which allowed me to use Thousand Eyes Restrict and Millennium Eyes Restrict to kind of get those openers. If so, that way I could play like Millennium Eyes Restrict and then put like in, in the Alistair the Invoker on board and then kind of make my plays from there for example i can make like link plays and then i can play uh invocation afterwards and go from there and it, i found that that utility just works so well and it also catches people off guard when you play those kinds of cards because people are like okay like kind of what's what's the strategy i'm supposed to do which i also think is like a, a another reason of many why jesse cotton is so successful because he's always playing so many different decks he's willing to be creative he's willing to like play something different something radical that no one ever plays so not only are you playing against like a top tier player but you're also playing a top tier player who's playing a deck that you're not going to know what twists and turns are going to come at you which like really overwhelms the opponent which i think is definitely yeah i think we just had the lcs last weekend and jesse played drytron wasn't even out in north Mm -hmm. america yet but you know he was ahead of that he said you know what we're going to figure out the deck we're going to give it a try a guy's not afraid of failing, though, you know, it's very rare that he does. Um, so it's it's definitely the right mentality. And I think that it's quite obvious why he's been able to have so much success that he has. Also, I, I love Jesse. And I think that another really depressing part of 2020, and I don't mean to make this the podcast of, you know what sucked about 2020? But I can't imagine <laughs> being him having that incredible run that he did and then they're just being no events because there is a hard break there for him yeah. and every other competitive player. And that's, I feel like that's rough. I, I, I do. I mean, I just, I would have loved to have seen what this year would have looked like for him and so many other incredible players. I really want a solid to get a win. 
really want a solid to get a win. No more second places. The guy's, the guy's <laughs> too good. The guy's too smart. The guy's too deserving. So, uh, yeah, when, once real events are back, I am rooting for a lot of great guys. And that's also just such a fun part of Yu-Gi-Oh! Being able to keep up with the event standings, who did what, you end up making these friends. You have players that, you know, are like the Wayne Gretzky's or the, the Matt Sundin's where you want to follow what they're doing and it's just it's so captivating and there is that to a point right mm -hmm. now with the remote dual invitationals which konami's done and i think have been great i think those have been really really entertaining uh shout out to sam for taking the first one with dinos mm -hmm. i thought that was super fun uh, i'd love to see more of yep. that if that were like a monthly thing and like you could win your way into that with their uh regional-esque system that would be fantastic i just love to see mm -hmm more community elements while we wait for larger events to come back. Mm -hmm. and, and what you said really poses a great question and what's going to happen. And the question is, you know, who's going to emerge out of the scene once this whole pandemic is over? Because I, I, Sam is <laughs> topped, like he's actually topped two YCSs in a row. I don't know if a lot of people know that or not, but he has. And that was around like true Draco format when it happened. And then I don't know if people really took Sam like serious as a player or whatnot. Of course, you and I did because we, he'd be in the same regionals yeah. and we would see him do well at those events. Like I remember seeing him like top with Cyber Dragons when Cyber Dragons, like while it got support, was, wasn't because he got a top fight with and Dark he, Magicians with at like and, a 400 person regional. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the guy he definitely knows yeah. what he's doing 100 yeah oh yeah a lot of people don't talk about how how actually skilled he really is as an actual player rather than you know people have this you know perception of him as a Yu-Gi-Oh! sorry as a Yugi tuber but not so much as a player because he's a fantastic player even though I haven't played him yet but I've sat beside him at regionals and seen him play and we then we saw him win the, the remote dual invitational and he you know he beat Cody Angelov, who's a fantastic yeah. and excellent player in his own right. He's current national championship of North America. So, like, no, no disrespect to Cody, but, like, beating him is it, definitely a huge accomplishment for, for Sam's sake, being able to beat him in the remote dual invitational. And, you know, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, Cody's going to win. Cody's going to win. But Sam really surprised a lot of people when he won with that. And, you know, and, and of course, Cody was the one who beat uh, who beat Jesse Cotton, actually, to in the semifinals to make that event, too. Very fantastic duelist. So it, it's a wonder if we're going to see Sam maybe, you know, maybe top some more events yeah, to come out of it. And then we talked about Pac, uh, the, 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 the incredible run that he's had as of late during this whole thing. Like, are we going to see like a start of like YCS tops when he starts to come out? Cause I really believe so when he comes out. And then what about like Dominic couch? He's kind of like the forgotten guy and a bit of all this and maybe Gabriel Vargas as well. You know, like they're, they're, well, first of all, uh, couch is fresh off his three V three win in Vegas. And he hasn't really played like a major event since then that we haven't really seen from. So I wonder what he's going to be like, when we reemerge and then Gabriel Vargas, you know, he won a YCS like fresh after winning his, like his Nats win. And I'm wondering, you know, is we going to, we going to see him at uh, top of YCS again. And even if he has, but uh, you know, it's just questions like that, that are going to wonder like, who's going to yeah, be on top to again. To your point about Cody up. as well. Like that's a guy who's playing Yu-Gi-Oh all the time. He isn't taking this big hiatus with the game, right? Like 
is always streaming. He's always trying the new decks. Mm -hmm. I think that if you want to figure out a deck from scratch and an archetype release, like go to his stream, you are going to learn so, so much. And I think that's really interesting. Uh, another guy who's been doing really well lately, uh, just through all of the OTSs, the remote dueling, is Kevin, Distant, Distant Coder. I mean, he's playing Unchained. It's a rogue deck, but... <laughs> He's doing really well, and I feel like he's been taking the game quite seriously. So you never know. There might be some Yugi tubers. There might be some streamers who come in, shake things up. But there are a lot of great names, and I think it's going to make the first really 10 events back just incredibly exciting, seeing how all of these guys really end up netting out. Yeah, and you know, people might have like a misconception about you know Yugi tubers, you know, saying like you know, because they do all this Yugi tubing, they don't really like work on their playing so much, and they're not, they're maybe not like the greatest players or whatnot. But you know, in, in reality, mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of the other way around because they're spending so much time on Yu-Gi-Oh, like more than I have. Like definitely, Sam has spent a whole ton more time on Yu-Gi-Oh than I have, and I, I would say that he's better than me at this point in time, so that uh, that wouldn't surprise me at all if he, like, beat me, like, one-on-one -on -one in a match, because he's, he's definitely put a lot more time in it than I have, so and, and that's kind of the thing, like, every all these Yu-Gi tubers are out there, like, they're legit putting out the time and effort to actually not just put out the content, but they're actually learning more about the game as they're putting out their content, so it, in a sense, they're getting better and better at this game Yeah, I think that there are definitely... Think. YouTubers and streamers who are putting themselves in a position to do extremely well once organized play comes back. Though I do think it's also important to recognize for everybody listening at home that YouTuber or streamer are not, it can't be a blanket statement. It can't be a blanket group of people because there are people like myself who are playing 2014 and 2004 formats. Like I'm really not grinding the modern game. I... I think I'll be much more interested in it once double VFD and Halka Fibrax are out of the format. But if I were to walk back into Yu-Gi-Oh! right now, like modern Yu-Gi-Oh!, I think I would be maybe a little bit worse than I was back in April. And I'm okay with that. It's not my priority right now. But there are players who are out there in the Yu-Gi-Oh! tubing space who do this every day, who do play with the modern format, and who do get significantly better. So. Again, I, I think it's very case-by-case -case basis. So there are a lot of big names that are mm -hmm. very exciting. Yeah, you, you definitely can't put, the as you said, like a blanket statement on these YouTubers and just assume that they're either like really good or really bad. There's def definitely a case-by-case, -case, but at the same time I, I just know that mm -hmm. there's a lot of people that would underestimate these kind of player these kind of yugi tubers it's like oh they don't really spend their time playing the game they just spend their time but talking about the game it's maybe like me in a sense right now because like since i did this podcast i've been talking a whole lot about the game but i haven't really been giving myself the time to be able to play the game just because of my my current lifestyle it doesn't really allow for it maybe if i <laughs> if i like maybe quit my card shop job and then like just like you know maybe i would have more time to play because that eats up a a lot of time of playing but that's that's just an example for it and you can't really make those kind of like statements about the yugi tubers like i definitely respect a lot of yugi tubers their craft and their effort that they put into us definitely a lot more than i could i mean if i could spend like 40 hours a day on Yu-Gi-Oh and make like a good living off of it then make i would definitely do it for sure yeah but, uh, and i, I guess on the, the point of content creators we, we keep saying youtuber but there are great twitch streams again like distant coder 
Marfa, very notable doing that all the time. Pack yeah. now a big part of it. MBT, a big part of the Twitch community. So like the general Yu-Gi-Oh content creators, mm -hmm. there's definitely a more of a competitive edge that I think is working up there. But the one that I want to bring up is Duelist Academy very specifically. <laughs> the best oh, players in the game oh. are streaming, talking about what? all of the decks, all of the strategies, what they think the format is going to turn into. There is just, it's an insane amount of information. And whenever I can, I tune into that. And I always feel like I leave smarter than I entered. And it's crazy that we have that resource now. And that's going mm -hmm. to have an impact on the player base because that didn't exist when... IRL Yu-Gi-Oh was a thing previously. Yeah. And now that competitive content is there. You have guys like the DB Grinder who are analyzing just a lot of great gameplay, a lot of great insight there. You have Sir Eminon, again, very meta-focused. So I feel like there is a lot more competitive content that's emerging where maybe a year ago it was mm -hmm. more so mm -hmm. pack openings and rogue deck profiles, which, by the way, I have absolutely no issue with. I love both of them. I'm a big fan of both casual and competitive Yu-Gi-Oh! But I do think the space is opening up to a more competitive scene, and I do mm -hmm. think that will have an impact on the game when it opens back up. Yeah, not only is that, there's also mm -hmm. Cody Angeloff who's doing his, uh, his take notes, uh, you know, tutoring as well. And this is something that we never really saw a whole lot back then. I think one point in time, like former Shonen Jump champion Iman Hanians, like was putting on eBay on for like coaching lessons, and we all, a lot of people, kind of laughed at that for it. But nowadays, like it's, it's there's no. not really much of a stigma on that anymore. Like it's not really laughable anymore. Like people are really like taking this resource that is available to them, like for a small fee, and they're really running with it. I mean, Pack like told me, for example, that, uh, or sorry, Cody told me that like Pack was like one of them, like one of his success stories. And, and look at him right now. I think he's probably one of like the, the fastest rising stars right now in Yu-Gi-Oh today, which is again, I think Pack would just absolutely destroy me in a game. I'd probably give him a good one, but he, I think he just ripped me apart limb from limb. And I've been playing this game like, <laughs> yeah. like, 14 years longer than he has yeah. for, for God's sake, it's exactly that. Because and it's it's so nice now that a, a lot of the professionals are sharing a lot of their information more so now than what we did before. I'm not saying that like we would have like we didn't have any information. We definitely did because well, first of all, like metagame or maybe some like Yu-Gi-Oh websites would uh, post up deck lists or whatnot. But now they're more available than ever, and they're just it's becoming easier and easier now to get into the game, which is. Would you actually want in in a game because you kind of want to see the game grow and in order for it to grow you got to have more people into it and that's how you make a game grow with more people yeah like, it's you make really it interesting how the game competitively information wise is so much more accessible though i do think the game mechanically continuously becomes less and less accessible i mean you uh you want your friend to play with you and it's say february of 2020 and they're like, okay, here's a deck. It's Spiral. They've they've never played Yu-Gi-Oh before. <laughs> it's a it's a bit to ask. I mean, I yeah. think Salamangre was a great deck to just kind of get back into the game with its very mid range. Though even that is, I think, a lot to ask. But the farther we get into like Virtual World, Dragon Link, Infernoble, it's just I I don't know how they're going to make the game hyper accessible again. Um, 
but I, I love to see it happen. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say that they should ban all the combo decks or get rid of all of that. I think that combo is an important part in Yu-Gi-Oh! I think that it serves uh, a very vital spot in balancing the heavy control matchups. I think it adds great variance to the game. I just think that they need to find a way to make it slightly more accessible again. Yeah, of course, there's always that balance between like how fast, how slow do you want the game? Mm -hmm. Because if you get it really slow, everyone's going to be running floodgates. It's kind of it's going to come kind of stale, and it's going to be back <laughs> to like the Legend of Blue Eyes kind of set, where it's just like one monster attack and maybe set one card and one monster attack. It's going to be like that, and you know that's kind of a normal stale, summon inspector border set imperial kind of order, like. <laughs> disgusting <laughs> yeah it, it, the game kind of gets a little bit dull at that point because it, it's, it's not just Yu-Gi-Oh that's kind of taken this path too because like, for example like I, I play Street Fighter and the game has started to become less defensive and more offensive and it's a little bit more flashy where now that we're entering an era where like streaming uh broadcasting like Konami started to take on like the broadcasting it's going a little bit harder and harder each year on it and trying to make like a you know a quality product behind it so you know you're trying to draw in an audience and of course you don't want to see this game where a lot of people at least anyway don't want to see this game where it's like one stale monster attacking and then one stale monster attacking other ones everyone kind of wants to see like a little bit more flashy a little bit more right like combo based a little bit more like exciting if you will and you know that's that's kind of the way to draw people in it's like again in sports like for example football like the rules rules are kind of catering more to the offense they favor that so that way there'll be more points scored because people love watching like points being scored all over the place as opposed to a game where there's like no points being scored and kind of boring to watch. And that's kind of the route that Yu-Gi-Oh is taking in a sense. Like offense is getting more and more out there. It's getting a little bit more flashy. If there's a lot more trickery involved now and you know, it, it, it kind of appeals to it. Not to say that like there's some like good roots in like, and a nice mm -hmm. defensive good grind game because I love those games right. too. Yeah, but of course. I don't yeah, I think that say that. Most everything in the terms of media is getting faster because it has to, because our attentions are getting, you know, significantly smaller. We live in the age of social media. And I mean, look at esports, right? If you look back at the prominent games in 2007, mm -hmm. 2008, you had Call of Duty and Halo. And like compared to today, incredibly slow and moving into today you have grappling hooks you have all of these clambering effects it's again a different game I, i'm not i don't think it's necessarily better or worse i think that it's different and as you noted it's prominent in sports it's prominent in Yu-Gi-Oh. it's prominent in everything everything needs to get faster so that everything is more entertaining than everything else eventually i think that everything has to slow down just because it'll lose the it'll become too inaccessible and it won't be as captivating after a point but it's interesting to figure out and kind of guess where that'll be with Yu-Gi-Oh specifically Mm -hmm. and I love you. You brought up that point that the kind of the age that we're in now because of like social media and whatnot kind of playing a role because, uh, it, you know, information now is at, is at your fingertips and it can be mm -hmm. anything can be sought out in less than a minute. And so like our brain, our brains are kind of programmed that way now where 
we need like we want to see stuff like now now really quick like for example now that i'm on like youtube with my phone i can double tap and i can like fast forward 10 seconds if i want to just to get to like the meat of what i want i won't just actually like sit there and watch like this whole two minute video it's like no i don't i don't want that part double tap let's go to the next part and you know back when i was a kid when i played like super nintendo there was no like way to like rewind the game <laughs> if i made a mistake i yeah. like, have to rewind no if i die go restart the whole level again. If I get a game over, restart the whole game again. And now it's like, if I make a mistake in video games, it's like, oh, okay, well, let's hit the, like this special little rewind button and rewind it back another five seconds. And I'll save myself like another like 20 minutes and I can do that whole part again. If I fail, I can do it again and again. And it's kind of programmed my brain now where it's like, I can't really, it's hard for me to play a Super Nintendo game now without that rewind feature because I'm so used to instantaneously getting what I want now. And it's a, it's, it's, <laughs> It's kind of a curse in that sense. It's a blessing and a curse, I should say. A blessing that we get it, but a curse now that we're just getting so used to it. And I think that's kind of the way Yu-Gi-Oh! was gone as well. Like, we don't want to see it kind of be slow and defensive. We want to see flashy, flashy, cool combos, cool moves, and, like, see, like, can people, like, break out of these, like, big boards? You know, it's it's like a heavyweight slugfest. And that's what we want to see now. We want like hit, hit, hit. We want this over like one or two rounds, like in like a boxing match. We don't want to be done like the you full time rounds. No, I just want two rounds. I, I think I it's I think it's very that's person what I to think person. We're kind of going because through. I'm definitely I, I'm still playing goat. I, I would love a forty turn match, just going back and forth, taking forever. Uh, I do appreciate modern Yu Gi Oh and mm-hmm. summon big board versus big board, and then that's the end of the game. I I like the balance though. I I like that. I like it when there's an option. I like it when it's not one or the other. Right now, we are entering more so into a trap-heavy format with uh, Ice Dragon's Prison just being so incredibly prominent, Zoo out of variants, finding their way into the meta. And I think that's cool. I, I think if Double VFD didn't exist right now, it would be a really, really cool format because you could play Big Combo or you could play more Control and you just you could do what you want. There'd be a lot of option there. So maybe that's what it is. And... When we went into this again, you wanted it to be a little bit of a recap of 2020 and looking forward. Well, looking at the product of mm-hmm. 2020, we had so many insane sets. We started the year off with the Shadal Structure deck, which warped the format. I mean, mm-hmm. Invoked was absolutely massive. Mm-hmm. We had yes. Secret Slayers with both Adamancipator and Eldritch completely taking over the meta. Rise of the Duelist introducing Dogmatica, Toon Chaos giving us Infernoble. Mm-hmm. Eternity Code, you know, you had Link Ross and Access Code Talker. So many absolutely insane cards, insane decks interjected into the game within like a six-month period. However, however, we just had mm-hmm. Phantom Rage. It's a good set. Nothing's absolutely insanely broken. Zeus is great. Alpha's pretty cool. But there isn't anything that's going to break the game. Then we have Genesis Impact out this week, last week, and Drytron, really good yeah, for the, uh, sure, this, yeah, this past but Thursday. it isn't definitive tier one, mm-hmm. right? Like Zoo Outlitch and Virtual World right now are mm-hmm. still quite prominent. Looking forward, we have uh, the Armed Dragon set that's going to be coming out. We have the Ice Barrier Structure deck. Then we have Ghosts from the Past. And all of those look like, from my very admittedly uninformed opinion, not game-warping sets. So it almost seems like we are going to enter 
-hmm. into a slower period of Yu-Gi-Oh, at least for the next three or four months. And that's interesting because, again, the game does need to mm -hmm. become accessible again, and maybe this is where they do that. I did hear, I wasn't playing during the format, and I'm sure you can fill me in on this, but when Sky Striker came out, when Full Power mm -hmm. Thunder Dragon came out and Danger Thunder Dragon, the deck was just absolutely insane, right? Like, it, it was incredible to the point where, <laughs> like, why, why do much else? And then I, I've heard that Konami tried to walk it back. I'm trying to choose my words kind of carefully here, just because I don't want to misrepresent a format that I didn't actually play. Um, mm -hmm. But from what I've heard, it, Konami released absolutely incredible mm -hmm. cards. They realized that maybe this wasn't the best idea. They really slowed things down. You guys had what was called the, the endless format, the eternal format. Um, and maybe that's what's happening again. Do you see that? You lived through uh, Danger Thunder and all of that. Yeah, so when I was playing through the Danger Thunder format again, it was once Soul Fusion came out and the rest of the Danger Monsters came out, it added a completely new element to the game because dangers were so splashable in so many decks. And I was playing Strikers during this format, mind you, and then Solomon Great. So I wasn't, I didn't have that kind of speed to play with, first of all. So, and I just witnessed so many like first turn disgusting boards. That would be out there. And uh, going back to Jesse Cotton, like he made so many different kinds of decks with like Danger Thunder or like Danger Variants. <laughs> like I remember they made like a Slash Draw OTK deck for God's sakes. I'm like, oh my God. I, I remember when I was living in Belleville, um, one, of, one of our good friends, uh, Gannon, would come over and he was trying to learn that deck. He was playing like Slash, slash mm -hmm. Draw OTK, OTK deck. Great, great guy, great player, by the way. Love him. And and my god, like the kind of the amount of intricacy and like the length that that deck would take to be able to play that was absolutely maddening. And like Danger, like really broke the game wide open for a little bit because of how versatile it was, and it made like it it kind of helped your hand and helped fix your hand, and it would all like dispose of cards in your hand that you would rather like go to the graveyard. Like bad example, but we'll say like Burning Abyss for example as well. But like with the Thunders, like it was absolutely like astronomically dangerous because of the the sheer amount of monsters that they could put out. It was such a pain for me to play <laughs> yeah. that with Strikers because like Colossus already was problematic enough, let alone putting out like three Colossus. And then maybe like oh, like a, a, a like a one negate card. It's like oh my god! Like 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 I thank God. Like I think Agrapain was the the pro, one of the problem cards. Like thank God that was gone because it was causing a whole lot of problems. Oh, I mean that was that form. I was was hard to play with because when I everything was just again it was that let's put out the best. So looking at that format in retrospect, looking do. at modern Yu-Gi-Oh and kind of what the future sets are like. Do you feel like we're going into that slower period? Or do you think all of the sets that I mentioned are maybe a little underhyped by myself and that the game's just going to get absolutely wild again? No, I think the game, I think you're right. The game actually is getting a little bit slower now because we, we did forget to mention one set and that was Rise of the Duelist where mm -hmm. the game was, with the release of Forbidden Droplets, helped make the game like a little bit slower again. And then of course we had Dark Ruler no more before that. And then there was like triple triple tactics talent where we would like uh, I don't know they kind of like punish a bit of the slow play and kind of boost it up a little bit. It, it was 
it was kind of hit and miss with that. It, it, it kind of helped like the speedy players move along if they try to get controlled. But Forbidden Droplets is a, a fantastic card that came out, and like I, I use it on my Phantom Knights deck, and it's it's such a really great card to kind of s- slow the game down a little bit. So while we have had these cards that you know speed the game up tremendously, we have been given these like power cards that do slow the game down, or at least per like you know punish those decks that all all they're meant to do is just overextend on the first turn and then pray that they can't get beat so i think it is getting a little bit slower now because at least the games i've been playing lately the game half the over half the time isn't done in the first turn but it's just maybe virtual world if you don't have a way to stop vfd on the first turn then that's probably the only time you're going to kind of have to scoop and go to the next game if you can't stop it for the most part but i start to see the game slow down a little bit which is what i like i like my games to go for i like about like maybe five turns each for each player roughly i like to see that kind of grind it it can be like a little bit more a little bit less that's fine but i like a good grind like maybe around the like if it was like sky striker format like those games would be a bit of a grind and even though i didn't like that kind of grind but i like kind of like and i know he doesn't have the best reputation but block dragon at emancipator was one of those decks that could build an insane board but if it was broken all the next turn you could just use block dragon you could recycle your extra deck monsters and you could go again and you could kind of have that really interesting grind game where i think with decks like infernoble or dragon link really the last format it wasn't so much of an option because dragon link uses 14 cards out of your extra deck for its initial play and infernoble also you know does the majority of what it wants to do turn one and it just doesn't have a wide extra deck to do much following up you really just want to make your access code and hope that wins you the game so yeah, I, I guess I guess that's interesting. Having five turns mm-hmm. rather than the one or rather than the 30 <laughs> might be the sweet spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'd rather be controlled for five turns and get beat than just get controlled for one turn and get beat because I'd at least want like my chance to be able at least to try and grind yeah. back into that game. I just want the opportunity to. Like I don't if I lose, so be it. I will lose to the better player. I don't have a problem with that but at least give me a fighting chance to prove that I can at least bail myself out of the situation before I lose. That's all I really ask from every single game that I play. And I completely understand that there's some form of hypocrisy when I say this, because of course, when I play some (laughs) certain decks, my job is to not give my opponent that same opportunity when I'm on the receiving end. So I can completely understand that, but that's just generally how I like it. I like it when my opponents at least have a chance to take me down while I have a chance to take yeah, them down. Yeah, again, I was talking about Infernoble earlier and how I kind of jumped into that deck. I felt like I was getting the easiest 2-0 wins provided I won that dice roll because if I did, hand traps didn't matter. And it also didn't matter that my opponents were better than me. And in a lot of scenarios, I was playing against people who I should have just lost to. But the deck mm-hmm. ripped, you know, maybe three cards from the opponent's hand and then mm-hmm. set up three negates. It was It was just game. And it, that's that's what it was, and it wasn't it wasn't fun. Honestly, I, I I would have much rather played a worse deck that allowed us to have a back and forth because I didn't feel like I was playing Yu-Gi-Oh. I felt like I was solitaring, fully aware that the opponent just wasn't going to get to play. And aside from VFD, I feel like the formats at such a healthy place. So 
I don't know, maybe the next list it gets hit, and then we have all of these, mm-hmm. you know, B to C tier sets, and not necessarily from like a like a, is it a good set, but like competitively a B or C tier deck or a set that does make the game really entertaining for the majority mm-hmm. of players. Because some people do love the summon turn one board and I win. And, you know, that's that's totally cool. That's what's neat about Yu-Gi-Oh! It's very diverse. There's a lot to it. And there's a lot of different play styles. But I think the majority of people want to be able to play the game. Yeah, definitely that. And it, I kind of feel a little bit scummy when I'm playing against a, a superior yeah, opponent. Yeah. And I beat them strictly on, like, on cheese. Or, like, that, like, I kind of, I got lucky in a sense. Because I don't feel like that's not a real win. Like, uh... I'll take this for example. This, this will be like kind of like a bad example, but um, I've only ever played Bo Tang once, and it was a grindy format, and I beat him. But this was before he became famous. If we were to if we were to play in his prime, I would be like no doubt. And even now, for instance, I'd be like no doubt he would just mop the floor with me, and he would kick me like all over the place. He <laughs> he would bully me, despite his small stature. He would bully the ever living crap out of me, one hundred percent. So, like, you know, not to say, like, I cheesed him, but, like, if I were to say, like, let's say I beat him by, like, I cheesed him, like, I, I, it doesn't feel like the real win because yeah. it, it felt like more like luck than it is, than it is skill. And I have definitely lost many games before to people who I thought were inferior to me, uh, for lack of a better word. And you know, I've definitely lost that way. But I've definitely won games like that where I've beaten some superior opponents, but only because I had it. But I didn't beat them, really. Yeah, I... I just got lucky. I guess that's how I see it. Around the end of returning to Yu-Gi-Oh!, I had a really, really funny comment that noted that every time Ruggles wins, he notes that he got lucky or that his opponent was really good. Why why doesn't he just, like, accept that he won? And my response was like, well, I flip summon limit a lot. And that's not me winning. (laughs) That's me flipping trap card an opponent cannot play. And that's just... That's yeah, the game, yeah. and I always feel really guilty about it. And I always just need yep. to know that, like, yeah, I got lucky. I won the dice roll, and then I drew uh, summon limit, and that yep. was that was what it was. So, yeah, I, I think as long as you can also like look at the game from a comical yep. standpoint and recognize that, like, we're playing a card game, it's <laughs> it's fine regardless of how it goes down. Like, realistically, who <laughs> really cares that much when you're playing for like a three thousand dollar prize card? I, I get it. You yeah. make sure the rules are all followed perfectly and make sure that everybody's being very respectful, et cetera, et cetera. But like, if you're playing at locals, if you're playing at an OTS, like mm-hmm. have fun with it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I want to switch gears now for a little bit, because I, I don't mind <laughs> this podcast being a little bit longer because it's kind of, a, it's a special podcast at this point. So I don't mind spending this time. And I'm also enjoying this conversation I'm having you too. By oh, the way. no, it's man. I, I love it. Uh, I'll gladly be back thanks, for a third or fourth or fifth time. You, uh, you call and I will come. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. Love that I can rely on you for that. And, and by the way, for, for anybody that's listening out there, uh, the next episode, is a big, big thank you and a big assist to Ruggles. I'm not going to release it yet, but I will tease it very soon after I release uh, this one if you're just newly watching this. So big again, big thank you again to Ruggles for making the next episode happen. So just a little teaser about that. But uh, to switch gears now, to start, um, I know that you've been, uh, you've been a fan of my product and I've been a fan of yours. I got to ask you, who is uh, one of your favorite guests uh, that uh, you saw on my podcast? I think Dale Bolito 
it was probably my favorite episode because I grew up listening mm-hmm. to stories about Dale Bolito. Mm-hmm. There were sayings at my card shop, like, do it like Bolito. And it just meant like, if you needed to pull out that win, if you needed to make a great play, if you needed to figure something out, it's just like tap into that Dale Bolito brain that's out there because it will figure it out. I think that that was such an interesting <laughs> podcast. There was so much history. I think it was also a longer one. I think that was over like two hours. Yes. He played through formats that I loved. But I guess I'll also note that Jesse Cottons was absolutely fantastic. Triff was hilarious. Sam is always just a pleasure to listen to. Yeah, you've seen. Mm-hmm. I, again, the, the list is very long, but I think I have to give it to Dale. D- Dale was absolutely a fantastic one. And uh, uh, a little bit note there, it, it, it got a little bit personal and, and sentimental for me uh, as it went on because, you know, Dale and I, we've always been like good friends, but but not good enough friends in the sense that I would drive to Toronto uh, or Mississauga rather, I should say, and like visit him mm-hmm. and we'd actually do something personal. It wasn't on like that level of friendship that we had, but but like we were always like awesome like when we saw each other we were always cool to each other when we talked to each other we'd have some like solid conversations and there'd be a point where i would visit him at card masters which was his local at the time way back then like the that was like mm-hmm. the old guard of what uh, what ray's shop would be game nation so think of it that way and you know i would even go there for like special local terms that they'd have they'd have like maybe like a box tourney or like a card tourney or like like special giveaways and i would go there and i would like hang out with dale we would like like play basketball for a little bit before like the Astro tournament started. So that would be like the, one of the ways that I hung out with Dale before then, but you know, down the road, like not even before that podcast, he, he told something to me that really like struck my heart. And he said to me, he's like, you know what, bro, honestly, if you like lived in Toronto, I honestly mm-hmm. think we'd be a lot like bigger friends than what we were like right now. And like, that really touched me. And then we got a little bit personal at the end of it, you know, and he told me, you know what, if you're ever in Toronto, man, I'll, I'll introduce you to my to my fiance, and you know we'll go out meals on me, man. Like bring your girlfriend along. Like we'll, we'll like have a night, just a double date you and me, and like that really touched yeah. me because like I never really got to have that that kind of intimate time with with Dale. So like just having that was like a personal moment for me. So that was definitely like one of the the better podcasts that I've had. And again, it was probably it was one of the mostly viewed podcasts. Actually, it is the most viewed podcast. I believe on my channel. So it was nice that uh, he was able to come on. And I remember I put out a post on my YouTube and asked, you know, <laughs> yeah. who do you want back for a second episode? And I'm like, Dale, Dale. I'm like, yeah. So it, it you know, so expect Dale to be uh, definitely back on for a part two for sure. He'll definitely be back on it. We could go for another two hours, honestly. Like, I think a lot of people I've had here, um, I could definitely have them on for a lot longer than what I did. But, you know, I try to keep the podcast roughly around, like, 60 to 90 minutes mm-hmm. because I think that's, like, a good, like, yeah. you know, it's like attention span for a lot of people when it comes to these things. Like a movie. It's the length of a movie. Again, I think um, that any of the ones hearing that kind of Jesse's was really enjoyable. I believe that was either the second or third podcast that you did. But, obviously, an incredibly efficient player right too many the best player in the game right now but i loved how you dove into the more personal side of things how we got that story about him going to brazil and you know how they wanted to do this adventure up the mountain and didn't know all the way they wanted and it was just great to hear the personal side because again i think when a player is as good as jesse or a lot of the guys over at duelist academy people kind of forget that they are people and that 
they have these very real funny experiences. And I just thought that was such a great showcase of his personality. And I know Jesse pretty well. And I just, uh, I love to see when things like that mm -hmm. can come out. So I thought that was great. And I do love how, well, you talk about Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot in your series. You also talk to the people about the people. And that's really wonderful. Yeah, and it was very fascinating to find out about Jesse and his, his interest in like sightseeing and kind of seeing uh like these old like old, old historic sites and then, you know that's kind of his interest. He's more he, he likes that aspect of it as opposed to like going out and being that like the, the <laughs> let's go to like let's go like party up like something like Triff would say. Nothing not that there's anything wrong with like going out, but he's not like that, yeah, let's go out and party, let's go get wasted. Like he's not that kind of guy. It's like I want to go out and like, kind of like embrace the culture. I'm not yes. saying that Triff would wouldn't do that kind of thing. He might do it in a different way, maybe. But that's just that's how Jesse is. And like, you know what? It like that kind of fits with the way he, he kind of is. But it's also really fascinating to learn, which is, you know, uh, one thing I like to do with these podcasts. I like to know a little bit more about everybody. And like, like I said, when we had uh, the first podcast with you, we talked about uh, we talked about your art and how you have your own separate channel for it, and how like you went to school for doing what you're doing now, and how that's you've been able to like practically apply that into what you're doing into your YouTube channel as we speak. So it's nice that everyone gets to know like a little bit more with these like fun, like human intimate details that are a little bit outside of the game because everyone likes to know like a little fun, like factoid or fact. About On that note, you know, I believe your episode with Triff, which if I remember side. correctly was the first episode was quite a bit shorter. I think on the note of people who need to come back, I think yes, we need Triff. And I'd love to have you dive more into the personal side of him because I've met him at a regional we've been able to talk a number of times online. We are planning what is going to be the absolute best collab on YouTube. It's going to be absolutely insane. It's going to have a crazy budget. It's going to be just an absolutely wild video. We have a lot in common. I don't think normally um, people would necessarily put Triff and I in a, a similar box. But uh, I love the guy. I think he's really funny. I, I think that <laughs> he's a much... Uh, I, I'm going to put this very honestly. I think that he's a much better person than a lot of people think or give him credit for. He, Yeah. And I would love for the community to have an oh, opportunity 100%. to see him in the way that I've had the opportunity to, and in the way I know you have as well. Because he's a really good guy. Um, obviously... <laughs> pretty loud, pretty funny, um, but still great heart. And uh, I think a great yep. part of this community, like truly. Yeah. Okay. So I'll put some like honest thoughts I've had about Triff. When I first heard of Triff, I thought he was kind of like this like arrogant jerk. It's like, Oh my God. Like I just kind of like moan over. But then like when I really got to like sit down and talk with, and this is before the podcast, we're gonna sit down, like really talk to him as a person, no. like really get to know him better. I'm like, no, okay, he's he's not bad at all. You know, he's no, he's actually a really cool guy to be with. And it, let's say if we were living in the same town, I'd be like, Triff, we're gonna we're gonna play play some Yu-Gi-Oh, have a couple drinks, and we're gonna go out and have a night of the town. You want to be in? I would absolutely be asking him to do that with him for sure. If that if you know we lived in the same town, like because. Cause he's actually like a lot cooler than, you know, what he kind of, you know, 
puts per he purports himself to be because you know you can you see this like <laughs> loud maybe like arrogant cocky like let's go let's yeah. go kind of guy really well but, but really like no he's he's just passionate about what he loves to do and he's <laughs> and he's also very skilled at what he does the fact like, that he, he went to a regional like, no, toronto regionals again at like the real deal. 400 people he's good and it was right before electromite was banned yeah. but it was announced that she would yep. be banned he played pendulum Without it, his deck despite the fact that he could, yep. and he still topped that regionals, and it was insane. <laughs> yep, so much. I, I remember the the deck profile he did with Sam, and it was just, yeah, oh, man, absolutely wild. Yeah, the, he is really good at the game. Like what, regardless of what people might think of him, because you know, first of all, I played him firsthand, and he probably gave me like one of the best matches i had at that regional even though i got 2 owed and i i didn't open like the greatest i opened okay but he's really skilled at what and very calculated in, in what he does and me watching him play like on his videos or when i see him at regionals like he knows what he's doing and it's because again he puts the time and effort into it like he's he might be cocky in a sense but he backs it up and so it's it's, it's hard for me to doubt him because i've witness all of this firsthand and it's it's yeah, hard for me 100 percent. i mean I, we'll, we'll continue you know, the stream of unbending honesty pendulum's not a fantastic deck and it's been incredible to see yeah. him continue to <laughs> succeed with that over time just he, he is single-handedly keeping that archetype yeah. alive and it's, it really is I, I love what he brings to the table i do <laughs> Yeah, yeah. One person can definitely make all the difference, and that's what Triff is doing right now with pendulums for sure. So, uh, I'll, I'll make this quick little note, and then we'll, then we'll move on from this. But you said that you know Triff was the shortest podcast that I put out there. So, funny little thing, when I asked him to be a, like the first guest on my show, he's like, "Yeah, let's do this." He thought it was just him like being there very quickly. He like I'm looking at my messages right now. He said. He's like, I thought it was gonna be like a five, ten minute thing. I'm like, dude, this is a podcast, man. Like, we're going for like a while here. But thankfully, I was able to stretch it out to mm -hmm. almost a half an hour. So I got a little more time than what I got. But I I'll definitely try to bring him back. I've already asked him for. It. He hasn't responded yet, but I, I would love to have him back so we can get a little more in depth about him for sure. But I knew that if I was gonna kick off this podcast, I gotta kick it off with a big name. And I kicked it off. I want to kick it off with Triff, who is arguably like had like yeah, the most and his hype channel it's grown than like any incredibly. Other person in I think at that point, twenty twenty. When I got into this, I think he was under twenty thousand subscribers. Yes. And let's just search him up, Triff Gaming. Mm -hmm. Let's see. Yeah, he's almost at forty thousand now. Almost doubled. That's wild and well deserved because he makes so much content. Yeah, he does. And that's that's what he told me uh, at the podcast. He told me he just recently quit his his job and now he's like full time YouTuber and now he's just pushing out content like crazy. And he's doing really successful now. And I, I'm glad for him, man. Great, <laughs> great guy to be around. And like, he may seem like a, like a jerk and abrasive, but no, 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 he's he's a good guy and he's actually kind of fun to be around. So like I, I rolled at him a couple of times when I, you know, at, at first, but yeah, the, the more he got 100%. to know him, the better he got. And that's, that's what I'm going to say about him. Uh, you know, one of the, one of my favorite podcasts that I did oh, was, um, and it was a recent one happened a couple weeks ago. Uh, I did it with crush cards. I did it with uh, Logan and Brian. I, I love those two so much because uh, again, like <laughs> when I stumbled upon them, 
uh, I, I saw like the alpacas and I was just I was just kind of giggling and like oh that's really cute that that's funny and like but you know again it's like every channel kind of has like maybe a gimmick their shtick or there's something that they bring to the yeah. table and they kind of provide like more like wholesome humor like uh, kind of that part of it into it and when I spoke with them they were absolutely so positive so vibrant like honestly I didn't want to stop the podcast. I wanted to keep going as much as I could because I just yeah, had I so think that would be fun. fantastic. They're, they're, they're both really, really good back. on camera, and that is definitely a skill. I, I feel like they're some of the content creators where it doesn't matter what they're talking about, but you can just listen to them because they're entertaining because you like their personalities, and they are, as you noted, just the absolute sweetest. I, I don't think I've received more mm. kind messages and encouragement and love from any other creator than I have them. And I've received like just so much support from this community. So that's saying a lot. They always go out of their way to support their friends and just be really warm human beings. So yeah, definitely, definitely another great one. And kind of a, a funny thing, I actually saw Brian before I act, before um, I knew who he was. Yep. This was the regionals where Logan topped with, paleo frogs and yeah. did the profile and it kind of jump-started their channel as you guys talked about on the podcast but i remember seeing brian and i was like this guy he's dressed very well for Yu-Gi-Oh. <laughs> yeah. like they are people who like very kind very loving but very much also like have their life and themselves together and it was just cool to see it was my first regionals and i was like okay it's nice to see that like the Yu-Gi-Oh stereotype, the Yu-Gi-Oh player stereotype really isn't a thing. Like there are people like Brian, very well-shaven, very well-dressed, well-spoken. And it was just a, a cool experience. And again, I had no idea who he was, but like mm -hmm. I took notice of him because he's just that type of human being and he's great. Fantastic guy, for, first of all. And uh, I, I'm going to put this fun little thing down. I hate man buns, but I feel like <laughs> I, I feel like Brian would be the only person who could mm -hmm. man, the only man who could sport a man bun and actually look good in it. Oh, he looks great in it. Yeah, 100%. Ex exactly. Yeah. That. And uh, mm -hmm. again, they're they're so positive. They're so vibrant. I love talking to them, and they were so fun. And again, this was at the regional. This was the November thirtieth regional where you'd started making your return to it. And mm -hmm. I remember I mentioned that podcast. I was at <laughs> I think it was at table two in the final round, and I was looking to my right. I'm like, oh, there's a there's a girl in the top tables playing i was like oh cool that's that's really cool and like i remember seeing the crowd around her at the time i'm like but i'm like i gotta focus on my game against the moose Yu-Gi-Oh mustafa i gotta focus on him <laughs> so, even though i got deck checks so i'm like okay i got eight minutes to kind of look around and whatever just kind of have fun woolly banter with like table one and table three for fun and but that was cool and then once like i saw them and i saw sam's video i'm like oh my god that's who they are oh it just it hit me I'm yeah. Like, oh, like, I, I realized obviously, like when I saw them, like I didn't know who they were then. But then, like when I looked at their channel and then like looked back and saw Sam's video, I'm like, oh man, that's who they are. And I'm like, okay, I gotta have them on. Like they're 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 so cool. And then also like props to Logan. She just uh, she just submitted her uh, her thesis defense because I know she's working on her master's degree right now. I think it's in Greek mythology. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, she just submitted it. So like props to her. She's a really smart smart woman, smart cookie behind her. Not a lot of people can do that. So again, prop if she's listening, 
props to you, Logan, for uh, getting your thesis defense. But uh, I really have to wonder how much Tops was really behind all of that. I feel like he might be the, he might be the catalyst of all that. So maybe I'm giving too many thanks. I mean, they have so many alpacas <laughs> on their side, right? There's just so many little creatures that <laughs> siphon information from. They, they really do have a, a big family. Yeah. Uh, it, it really is. And I, I love it when they kind of act out their alpacas. It, it's so cute. I'm like, oh, it, it's like, I still have a little thing for like cutesy stuff. Like for example, like I love playing Animal Crossing because that that's pretty like cutesy and not like really like <laughs> talk, like big like mass like like pretty emasculate. I guess is the best word to say it. But I still love that. I have like a cat that like you know get, gets me pretty soft. I never own a cat before because I'm allergic, but I'm not allergic to my cat unless like I like rub my face in it hard, then I'll sneeze like crazy. But like I love my cat. It's it's kind of like really put like a soft tender side to me. So when I see like crush cards and all their videos, like oh, it's like it's so endearing, and it's like I just want to, I just want to keep watching and just watch more of the. Sometimes I'm more like into the adventures of the actual alpacas than I am with the actual <laughs> videos. Sometimes but, it's interesting uh, to hear what you take away from the alpacas because I'm sure it's different for all of us. To yeah. me, when I saw their channel. It was very much uh, akin to Jason Baja, who was a fitness YouTuber way back in the day. And it's just so interesting how something like that, like a stuffed creature, can translate into these very different scenes and do so successfully. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. such an outside-of-the-box idea. And I think that they they really do a great job with it. It's unique. It's, it makes them stand out. And there are already people who stand out in a really great way. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot going there for them. And I'd also want to mention their Patreon. We're going to plug their Patreon here. Yes, we will. I, I subscribed on day one. And they sent me a signed Ultimate Rare crush card, a oh, bunch wow. of really cool foil stickers, really lovely note, which I saved. I think that they are really in the top tier of content creators who go above and beyond for their audiences in yeah. terms of interacting on all of the different social medias. They're always on Discord. They're, you know, updating their stories. They're having these conversations. They're signing cards and sending them back. Like, that all takes time. That all takes yes. a lot of time. And they still upload, like, twice a week for the most part. They are still doing school and work and just juggling so much while having a relationship right because that takes time and yeah. i'm just i am always taken back by how well they put the community first and continue to do that yeah the amount of positivity that they bring to the table especially in their social media platforms is is absolutely astonishing and it's it's wonderful to see because first of all like again logan is you know working on a master's degree and then you know, go, go the other side of it. It's, you know, like being able to produce that kind of content, it can be like really difficult when you're, you know, committing that kind of work. And then Brian works in healthcare. So, he's, yeah. and so his, oh. his time is like needed greatly. And, you know, healthcare is very demanding when it comes to like out working your hours, like you, you working more than like 40 hours a week and it's, it's very stressful and it's very tough. So the fact that you can work these long eight hour plus days 
and then come home and still film this content with the amount of positivity they had. It's nothing short of, you know, it's nothing short of breathtaking on there. And, and then not to mention that, like Brian also, um, he played uh, one of the, I think, not the remote to extravaganza. What was the, what was the event that happened for, Oh, Yu-Gi-Oh! Day. That's what happened. Mm-hmm. He won his Yu-Gi-Oh! Day with, uh, yeah. with like, oh, this way far out, tricked out uh, uh, Neuron deck. Uh, so it was like with, with Zexel. Sorry, I think I picked yeah, it up. It's, it's with right. Zexel. Yeah. Numerons, that's the one. I'm sorry. Yeah. So like, and these guys are new players as well. Like they've only been in the game for like two years and yeah. they're already seeing some success. Maybe not through the success of, of PAC. But they're getting success in their own right, and not to mention they're gaining a, a following, which, which again, it's just it's so wholesome and it's so good to be around. Like I, I join their Discord channel, and there's just nothing but like, it's nothing but fun conversations, positivity, and it's like I, I feel like I'm at home. It's like it's just <laughs> it's just a nice space to be around, being around them. And if I want like just a little bit of sunshine into my air, into my life. It's go see crush cards. I can't say enough good things about those two. On the note of PAX and the earlier conversation of players who can kind of come up out of nowhere as well, yeah, really do something when competitive play comes back. I think that yeah. a lot of people know crush cards as people who do these fun, fairly uh, rogue-ish decks, right? A lot of deck profiles and that sort of thing on not necessarily the best deck. But they're also really efficient players. I know that Brian goes to regionals and he, you know, always gets his invite. If not, he's uh, he's topping it with one thing or another. And Logan's also doing great too. So I feel like they're probably on that list of people who are going to surprise a lot of people when events do come back because I think they're going to hit that road hard and I think they're just going to do amazing. Yeah, they can definitely be like a, a dark horse pick, uh, if you will, for like for topping an event. Because again, like L- Logan was uh, when she topped with Paleos. Well, sorry, she got the invite with Paleos, which definitely surprised a lot of people because Paleos at the time were widely written off at that point in an Orcus format. But sh- she was able to make it work. And she was only running uh, two Dinomiscus as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, banishing that first Orcus, it's like, okay, what? Like was is pretty vital to like stopping a lot of Orcas plays, but you know she was able to make it work. And then they told us a uh, Logan, sorry Brian, uh, in one like the next the top like the next regional, which was in South Park, which they told me. So like there's definitely some skill behind it for like the small amount of time that they've been playing this game. And I'm like, these guys are going farther than like ninety percent of my locals have done in their like five, 10 years of playing of all the local players, no disrespect to them or anything like that. And it kind of be the same thing for, for your hometown Belleville too. It's like, you know, we, I've seen a lot of players there that have been playing for years, but they can't even get an invite. And then these guys come along and they're, they're getting their invites. They're getting some regional tops. So like maybe not all the time, but they're doing a lot farther than your average player would be. Yeah, and it's, again, not something I think a lot of people, blah, blah, blah. I think it's something that not a lot of people necessarily associate with them. So it'll be really cool when it starts happening. I I definitely have faith. Though Pac is definitely, I think, uh, the player you and I are both like, this guy is going to top a YCS and he's going to do it real quick. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if I heard his name be like a, a YCS champion. That wouldn't surprise me at all. Yes, Pac, I have that much faith in you, buddy. So, <laughs> so like, don't don't make me look like a fool now. Yeah, don't make me look bad. I'm putting it out there. 
But my God, like I'm looking through like my list of guests that I've had, and it's been it's been a pleasure talking to every single buddy, including you, by the way. And I, I love that you've had the success that you've had. Like, good on you, pal. And I'm so happy for you. But you know, these these people that I'm talking to, it's it's really nice to see like this other side of them that you know I never thought I would get to see or like even speak with the for the first time. I think like Crush Cards that was the first time. I ever spoke with them, for example, mm-hmm. uh, when, I, when I talked with MST TV, uh, we're, we were complete strangers before this. And we had, we had a very lengthy conversation as well. Uh, Farfa was the same thing. He, he never knew me who I don't think he knew who I was before I came out and messaged him. So, you know, just and same thing with Doug Zeef, too. Like I had a good conversation. Yeah. I really enjoyed him mm-hmm. as well. He was we got really in depth with the game as well. And it was fun talking to him, especially about his channel and how he goes about and like recently engaged as well. So congratulations on him for that one. So it's just, it's just nice how you can get these complete strangers who will like look at my channel. Cause if you look at my channel, I've got like just over 1200. So that that's, that's where I'm at right now. So it's like, okay, this is this, it's this small channel. I'm like, who's this guy asking me to be a part of the show. But you know, I haven't really got a lot of people who've like rejected me. I've had people who've rejected me, people who have ghosted me, uh, like you know, not, not been a part of the show. But the people who have, like, I, I can't believe they've been nice enough to take the time out that they have and you know, spent like a couple hours of their day just to just to spend with me and just to you know, have a hoot and talk about Yu Gi Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's a really wild roster that what you have on here. I mean, we've talked at length about so many of them but you just mentioned mst and tv we, we mentioned uh doug zeef like these are names that haven't come up but should have come up because they're fantastic they're great creators that you had great episodes with them it's just the fact that there are so many already really really great episodes so yeah as you know i'm a i'm a big fan of the podcast i, I think i listened to just about all of them um i, I did skip the the one with that ruggles guy though I don't know. Oh, he, did you? Oh, he yeah. Heroes and, and Cyber Dragons. It's very, like, GA. It's so casual. I just, I can't, man. Yeah, I know. Like, like that guy just, like, works out and just has to have this, like, really good vibe. He just, show me. He just, just seems kind of, like, really arrogant and narcissistic that he's, oh, man, I got to have this, like, skilled body. I'm also, like, soft with my hands because I, <laughs> you know, make beautiful art and my video production is so awesome. Yeah, I can understand why you really don't care about that guy. Whatever. You know, I, I think, screw, screw him. I, I think, like, to the point, to the point of, you know, that arrogance, I think he actually put a workout montage in one of his Yu-Gi-Oh episodes and a oh. <laughs> You believe that? Who does? <laughs> um, well, if you ever look back at one of my very old videos when I used to Yugi YouTube way back when, and this took place in your hometown, so I believe you know. Like, I don't know. Do you remember? And a lot of people may not know this, so I'm going to put this through real quick. Do you remember I'm Matt Ellis? I'm interrupting. Go. Is it the 72 uh, ounce steak challenge? No, 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 no. That's what I'm talking about. Okay. I'm talking about my series with uh, Mackenzie Ellis with Mac. Uh, oh, oh, okay. If you remember him. So for people who don't know, uh, I used to Yugi tube way back when about t- 10 years, 10, 11 years ago. And I had this series in Ryan's hometown of Belleville. There was this one kid who was playing like awful like skull servant decks but he wasn't playing well he wasn't the greatest player either but for some reason he was arrogant and a little bit cocky so i felt like i had to put him down a peg 
and beat him with all these terrible, terrible decks that I had assembled. And I remember the first match I played him with was Final Countdown, but I made a bet with my friend Mitch at the time who did play, my one of my best friends of Belleville. I told him, I bet you I'm going to beat Mac with nothing but common and rare cards that are just lying in your game room. That's what I told him. I told him I'm going to beat him. And that's exactly what happened. And then people loved it. So I thought, I'm going to keep making a series about him. And then about that training montage that you did, I made like a funny little training montage video, like a la Rocky style. Yeah. And like I parodied that and did it like a Yu-Gi-Oh format. It was like the video quality was terrible, but it was like, it was so stupid that it was funny. It was like that kind of funny. So you were doing, it was like ridiculous, ridiculous. You were doing Yu-Gi-Oh skits like 10 years ago. Yes. You started it. You were the first. I, I was, <laughs> I, I did it. And I remember, uh, so I always told myself, I always wanted to do something different. I didn't want to be like the next, per- like the next guy who just did this. I don't want to be like, for instance, now, like I do podcasts I don't know any other person that does podcasts on a consistent basis. Now we see people that have done a podcast here and there along with whatever content they do, but I'm the only person to my knowledge that I do like solely dedicated podcasts. And then back then I was probably one of the pioneers who did like Yu-Gi-Oh skits, uh, like really fun, like stupid stuff that would, that's not really like so Yu-Gi-Oh related per se, but just happened to make it on there. And then I also was one of the guys who would, uh, do a lot of rulings uh, on a lot of cha- on, on my channel. Like I would post a bunch of rulings that people wouldn't think of, or like or like what would happen if it. And I'd also have people like comment and like, what happens if this? Like what what's the ruling on this? What's the ruling of that? It was really interactive with it. So those were like the two things that I kind of brought into the Yu Gi Oh scene like way back when. And now I'm trying to just bring in podcasts. But I'm thinking next year. Is there something I want to do in addition to my podcast? I'm not sure. I kind of do, but I have to think of what could be the next thing that I could do on top of the podcast that's like that's very scarce nowadays. Yeah, so to kind of bring that home, you are going to continue with the podcast regardless, correct? 100%, awesome. yes. Awesome. And whatever you do decide to do, potentially new, original, you want to do something that is uniquely you, correct? yeah absolutely love that i I think that you are definitely someone who could pull that off i think you've shown a lot of diversity and interest over the years and generally that in content creation allows you to branch out in some really different ways we were just talking about skits and i I want to swerve here for a minute to a request that i have someone who i'm going to want you to have on 100 i I believe i'm willing to guess this first oh yeah before i believe do it you're talking about Milano. Yes. Yeah, what hundred percent. I love Milano. Yeah. Cause right now he's the guy that does all the skits mm-hmm. and f- really quick funny story. And again, this goes back to that November 30th regional. I was playing this was when I was playing against Triff, and I was sitting beside Dominic Couch. Mm-hmm. And there Milano was kind of calling out Dominic and saying, like, all right, this, like the winner of this is gonna like I'm the winner of this is gonna be the best between these two. I go to Dominic, I'm like, I, I, please beat him. Please beat him. <laughs> like, it'd be so funny if you beat him right now. I'd be like, go, because Dominic and I knew who we were at the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, I didn't know Milano very well at the time. So I'm like, beat him, beat him hard. And I know Milano came eighth at that, that region. He was the one who snuck in as the X2 record yeah. at that region as well. So I'm not saying, so he's not a bad player by any means either. But 
it was just kind of funny to see that like little like little provoking happening between Milano and uh and Dominic. It definitely made it interesting when uh Triff and I like were like in the middle of games and I would like kind of sneak over and just kind of look at him and see how the game is going. But yes, uh Milano I know definitely is I would like to have him on uh sometime. I'm just trying to figure out when the timing is right to to get him on. I saw that he subbed to me and I I've subbed to him. Mm-hmm. So he's definitely someone that I've got my eyes for in the future for season two when we start uh, in 2021. He's a really, really sweet guy, like absolutely incredibly supportive. He's one of the people who I think I talk to most in the scene, kind of in the DMs and just enjoy that conversation. But it's worth noting that like he's a really young player comparatively. He. Already yes. at the point where he's topping regionals, he's went from like zero to what 15k subs this year, and he's mm-hmm. done so by really bringing back Vine to YouTube. I mean, I think it was something that was done a little bit with like waffles. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. I wasn't, playing well. yeah, well, yeah, waffles, yeah, yeah, waffles. um, though I, I do believe his skits were a bit longer. And I just, I think what Milano is doing is so unique. It's so interesting. And there's so much to add too, because like he's a part of Game Nation, like arguably yep. the most stacked team uh, in Canada and, you know, arguably around the world. I would like to know that I was just gushing about how much I appreciate Milano as a person, as a content creator. And he is my number one request for a another uh, guest on your show. Yeah. Noted. No, noted. If it's coming from you, I, I, I got to have it on because uh, when I got Pack on, that was a recommendation from from Cody. He gave me that, mm-hmm. and I was glad to meet Pack. Glad to talk to him and you know, like kind of see him progress through it was fantastic. So yeah, for sure, Milano is definitely someone I'll, I'm gonna have on. I I was thinking of him at various points of time, and I was like kind of thinking, when is a good time to kind of getting him? Because like right now, he's in the midst of like his popularity like rising, and I thought maybe. I'll let him stew a bit more and see if it's just a trend. But no, he's, he is getting bigger and bigger. And uh, I feel like I kind of owe it to him at this point to get him on. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get him on, especially by your recommendation. Yeah, I think he's been really consistent. He, you know, didn't get like two 100K videos and then all of a sudden it's down to like a thousand. No, he is making great content time and time and 10 again. I mean, I know I get excited. And we were talking about, how people just don't have attention spans anymore and mm-hmm. i'm definitely becoming that right i mean uh I'm, I'm living in this world with all of this very fast information and his quick videos are immediate watches for me it doesn't really matter what i'm doing i see oh there's 30 seconds that i know i will love and enjoy <laughs> yeah i'm clicking yeah. that right now where yeah. with a lot of other great content it's kind of like hit that watch later button because i know i'm busy and i will watch it but I won't watch it immediately. And Milano is always just like, drop what I'm doing, watch the video, enjoy, uh, leave a, a supportive comment from a boy. And that's, uh, that's kind of what it is. Yeah. And, and it's amazing now that we've seen Yugi tubing kind of evolve where that the, I know like the top people like have their own like unique style and what they provide to the table. Like, for example, like let's start off with Triff example mm-hmm. he's probably the one guy you want to go to for pendulums for everything like that but also the guy who is willing to just handicap himself so hard <laughs> and willing to play through adversity so mm-hmm. that's that's what i see for trip with sam it's always like 
what's like the like what's like the hot deathless right now because he's got a an amazing circle of, of people around him that he can get to this news like fast and easy. And that's also kind of the same way with like with Michael Hilario, aka Slim Yu-Gi-Oh, which he's also really good for like putting out so many different kinds of deck lists, but it's his own spin, it's his own take. He does so many different kind of variants of it. So you can kind of pick and choose. Uh, you take Yasin, who's so like heavily combo tutorial like elevated. Like that's what he does, which is so fantastic. So if I once I have the deck done, like when I after I go to Sam or if I go to like Mike for for my deck list, and then now I go to now I go to Yassine. How do I play that? Mm-hmm. If I want to entertain myself for like nice long periods of time, to really see it, I'll go to your channel because I want to see that video production. I want to see that. I want to see the story that you like give out on your channel all the time. That's what I want to see when I want. If I want a little humor, I go to Farfa. If I want some inform, if I want some informative news, I'll go to like to Doug Zeef or I'll go to MST TV. You know that kind of stuff. It's like everybody's got their little niche. It's fun. And then crush cards, they wanna they like to explain all their deck lists, but they like to do it from like a beginner standpoint. They talk to us as if like you like I you don't assume anything. Like you pretend you don't know any single card about anything. It's pretty much like deck list for dummies. That's what it is. And that's what I love about every single guest I bring on here. Like they have something unique to bring to the table and the content they put out is different. So that's that's one of the joys right now I have of being able to explore everyone's content because they bring a little bit something different to the table. And that's why it's one of the reasons why they're so successful because everyone's unique in their own way, but yet it's so useful and it's, it's needed in some sense. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, speaking of, um, you know, uniqueness, I am, <laughs> I, I, I don't try to deny the fact that my, both of my series are very heavily influenced by a number of creators returning to Yu-Gi-Oh was very much based off of both Nim-Nim and Rev's cards doing the sealed only thing, but putting their unique spin on it. The newer sealed only series that I'm doing very much inspired by Farfa and Distant Coder, as well as Simo and the progression series. So there is content that is similar. Like there are all of these different sealed only ask shows. MBT is mm-hmm. also doing them, right? However, I do think that they are different. I do think they have their own elements. I think that they stand out for a reason. And I love the diversity. And when there's a great formula, we might as well continue with it. Imagine, I I feel like box opening channels don't really get as much credit as they deserve. I mean, I watch Jobber all the time. I love him. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, how sad would it be if Genesis Impact came out and there was one prominent box opening channel and they opened their box, and that was it. Because they were the box opening channel, and nobody else wanted to, you know, kind of step into that zone because it was already defined. I love that there are multiple channels that open boxes that have different personalities that give us different viewpoints. I Again, I, I love Jobber. I, I think he's a wonderful human being. Whenever you watch his videos and his openings, he always brings you through the history of Yu-Gi-Oh! He talks about all these different decks that were topping way back in 2005 and how he played these really funny, cool strategies. And he's another guy, by the way. He's definitely another guy who I'd love to see on the channel because... He has like real competitive history in the early days of Yu-Gi-Oh! And now he comes at it from the perspective of a, a vendor. That's what he does for a living. But he also has his YouTube channel, which gets you know tens of thousands of views, which he just does for fun. 
to entertain people, to have that community, that experience. And again, I, I, while everybody, as you noted, did different things, I don't think newer creators should ever be afraid of overlap. If you are heavily inspired by something and you can put your own spin on it, by all means, do it, have fun with it, get creative, because there needs to be more than one box opening channel on mm -hmm. YouTube. And again, I think with something like Sealed Only, there's just so much to explore that multiple creators doing it is a great thing. Yeah, it, absolutely. It is because if we take, let's go back to Crush Cards, for example, like they do deck lists just like Sam does deck lists. Like Sam's been doing deck lists longer than Crush Cards. But Crush Cards is adding their spin with it, not only with the alpacas, but they're explaining the deck from ground zero up. They're explaining it for players who have no experience with the deck whatsoever. Whereas if we go to Sam, there's sometimes there's like preconceived notions of some certain cards that are there. Um, mm -hmm. as opposed to crush cards they explain every single card because like you know they say you know what if you already know the card you can fast forward a little bit and that's fine where sam where sam is while well, he like he does ask about like certain cards about the unfamiliar unfamiliar ones but there are some cards where yeah you, you don't you don't need to explain for the most part because at least at the time when it's shown everybody knew what they did like for example when i did my my necros video with him uh for ycs i didn't explain what senju and manju did like every everybody at the time knew that in every Necros deck you ran three of each, right? Yeah, and that's what it was, and everybody knew what they did. Mm -hmm. So we didn't have to explain it. And not to mention, if you revisit like uh, Burning Abyss, for example, you've seen we've seen that deck go in and out of the format a million times, and everybody knows what Graph and Seer do. So we don't and Scott, we don't need to explain those a lot. And that's kind of the things that Sam would bypass, but Crush Cards would probably still like go through that. And again, that, that would go back to what you're saying. That's the little twist that Crush Card puts on being a being like a deck profiler. And there's definitely a lot of merit in what you said. Just because someone already does it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It's just bring something different to the table so that way, you know, there's something of merit that you can bring. And there's a reason why people should be going to that content. So I think it's a really good point that you made there of, uh, of people who are trying to get into Yugi tubing and whatnot and want to be big is not to shy away from something that's already been done. Just try to mix it up a little bit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I, yeah, I think that's a very good point that, that you make. And, you know, we've seen, so many people that have you know tried to do Yugi tubing and who who just can't get it off the ground because maybe at the start there they feel like it's a little bit stale or something or they just can't commit to it or just can't get into it or they just don't kind of feel like instant success by the way, but you know not every channel like probably over all the channels that we've been looking at never started that way either like mm -hmm. they all like worked their way to the top they worked their way there they they went hard at it and they, it was hours and upon hours upon hours so you know you can't uh you can't just write it off after like the first couple of months and even though like i think my channel's growing oh uh, maybe a little slow maybe because I, I think i've got this for about what five months now and maybe i've gained about uh, roughly like just just over like 250 subscribers since then but it you know that's not going to discourage me from stopping i get you know it's 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 a long it's a long mm -hmm. it's a marathon yeah you know you can't expect instant success right away i make my living off of my painting channel and i uploaded paintings and videos of painting on that channel very casually for i think two maybe two and a half years 
before it became what it is and financially viable. So <laughs> it goes to show that it doesn't just always happen overnight. In a lot of cases, yeah. you are figuring things out, you're improving. I, I mean, I've been making YouTube videos in one way or another since I think I was 14 years old. Um, mm -hmm. I am currently 27. So it's been a while. I, I was there from the start. I went to school, minored in film. Uh, but I still feel like every day I make a video, I learn something new and I get a little bit better at it. So mm -hmm. if that's still happening to me after going to school, after doing it for a decade, after doing it professionally, then I think it should be noted that when you're going into making content, recognize that it could always be better, that you can always move it in a better direction. So if you're not seeing success, that's okay. Because <laughs> simply by making it, you are going to make improvements. You're going to make that content more approachable. You're going to get better on camera. And eventually it will add up to the success that you want it to. Yeah. And I've definitely said this to a lot of people before is that like, you know, again, we're not going to, you're not going to be perfect right off the bat. And so many people have told me, it's like, if we were to look back at our channel that we started like four or five years ago, we would just kind of cringe and maybe <laughs> kind of went off. I mean, that's normal. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm kind of the same way. When I look back at my videos that I did 11 years ago, it's me just speaking in front of a camera for 10 minutes, just rambling on. It's like, really? Like who wants to hear about just me talking for 10 minutes in front of a camera with like nothing appealing, nothing going on. It's just me randomly going on tangents. And now now I'm doing like a, a podcast format, which has been very hot lately, I find. I think podcasts are like mm -hmm. really in right now, which is something that I think the UK community either has, has maybe yearned for or maybe never knew that they wanted until maybe now, now that it's come out. And I'm kind of hoping that because I'm the like the first and only dedicated like full Yugi tuber that's podcasting, like maybe this is something that can kind of take off or maybe this will start to inspire other people to start doing like full blown podcast channels. And who knows? And again, like they, they'll have different styles than I will. Like maybe they'll have like, maybe the more like a comical background, like Farfa would do. Cause like every time he like interviews anybody, there's always an element of humor behind it. And there's, you know, there's going to be that kind of like slapstick humor behind it, as opposed to me where I'm trying to be a little bit more, more like a human element to everything. I like to add a personal touch and everything and really get to know somebody. And that's the kind of uniqueness I'm trying to bring with my podcast. And I'm hoping that people are enjoying it, even though that they're kind of sitting around for like 90 to 90 minutes to maybe two hours per podcast. And they might not have the attention span for that. <laughs> I know that I don't have the attention span for every podcast for that long. and just like to listen to bits and pieces, but that's something I've, I've come to, you know, like understand and like be okay with because not everyone's going to listen to every single podcast and not everyone's going to listen to every single minute of the podcast. And there's going to be some skip over. So that happens. That's the nature of every single podcast. Like I don't listen to like every episode of the Joe Rogan podcast, just for example. Right. Yeah. I, I think that makes sense though. I <laughs> admittedly, I am a big fan. I do listen to pretty much all of them. And anybody who's made it this far, I definitely recommend going back through that catalog and really enjoying because I certainly know that I have and will continue to. When you get on people like Milano and Jobber, please request. <laughs> yeah, well, I actually tried to reach out to Jobber uh, early November, oh. but uh, he didn't He didn't send me a message back. He's a so very busy uh, guy. Very, very busy yeah, guy. All That I can understand. Okay, okay. I'll, maybe I'll talk yeah, to There's him. definitely... Yeah, there's definitely been a couple of guests that I have liked to put on here. Like I, I put uh, 
for example, uh, MBTV, I wanted on. Uh, I didn't get a response back. I put uh, M. Cole 40, like Robbie Cole, but he's just so busy that it, it's just yeah. really hard for him to really get in contact with me to to kind of arrange something. I, I tried Jonathan Moore, but he he turned me down because he didn't really want to talk so much about him, like, personally. He said he'd talk about, like, the just, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! on the surface, but nothing so much more, like, deep detail that I would personally like that I do with everybody else. So I have reached out to like a lot of other people that you haven't seen yet. It's just a lot of people that either just, just either just say no, or they kind of ghost me and they, or maybe they just never see my message. So it happens. But then again, I've also tried, I've had to do this with a couple people. I've had to like really try for a couple people. Like for example, MST TV, like we took uh, a lot of scheduling before we actually got our episode together. So, and that's just the nature of being a journalist. Mm -hmm. The, you're gonna get no. You're gonna be told no a lot. You have to be used to it. I'd like to know, uh, just in defense of people who I know are good people, uh, with yeah. Robbie, with John, uh, with yeah. MBT, uh, <laughs> all obviously very busy. MBT, lost yes, absolutely. absolutely ridiculous. And I'd like to know. And I'm just going to pull up my Facebook and my Instagram and my Twitter. Okay, so I have. Over 60 unread messages on Facebook. <laughs> I have over 30 on Instagram. And okay, I only have like 12 on Twitter. So <laughs> the point being, get messages all the time. I know that I personally cannot respond to every message I get. It was something that yeah. I did initially when I started the channel and I took a lot of pride in and I wish I could but I literally do not have enough hours in the day. If I were to respond to every message I got, I wouldn't have time to make any actual content. So again, I, I think that in so many scenarios, people get messages from people they know mm -hmm. and they, they just, they, they don't know that they got the message. I know that that's happened to me a yeah. number of times. Uh, I'll find a message like two months later from someone and I'll be, oh, right. Uh, okay, yep. yeah, I'll uh, I'll respond to this now, and I will apologize greatly for the fact that I just it, it got lost, it got buried, right? Yep, and, and and that happens. Like I completely understand it too, and I, I knew that you know Robbie is is incredibly busy with you know running running Zodiac and mm -hmm. you know running his own YouTube because he's pretty much like solely dedicated to his YouTube channel, which I completely understand. And like even before this podcast happened, when I messaged him it would take them like a week or two to respond. I'd be like, well, that, was, uh, that took a while. But again, I understand like their business. Some people just want to keep it private and some people are just aren't open to it. I think I know, I saw a post from like Jeff Jones that said like, he didn't like, I tried to ask, I asked him. He didn't say anything back to me. Maybe he didn't see my message because we're not technically friends on Facebook. So it's a little bit harder to see. And he's probably gets this whole swarm of messages on top of that. Mm -hmm. But then I also remember him seeing how I have a post. Like I'd only talked to like certain people and he said like, you're one of them. So like, I'm not taking it personally, but like maybe just, I'm just not a person that'd be, be interested to be that he'd want to talk to, which is completely fine. There's no hard feelings about it. That's just the nature of, you know, the kind of work that I'm in and that's, I'm not going to take any of that personally, but there's some people that kind of get lost in the mix or some people just don't see it right away. And, you know, sometimes you just, you just can't get a hold of people no matter what you do. And that's just the nature of journalism. It happens and you just can't dwell on it. You really can't. Yeah. And to, to kind of add to that, I've had two podcasts who have reached out to me on Twitter and I've told them, I think for the last six months, Yes, I'm. I, I'd like to do it. Uh, I, I've checked out your podcast. I like what you do. Uh, at some point, we will do this. Um, 
but I can't do it right now. Now, obviously, mm-hmm. I'm recording a podcast with you in the moment, right? <laughs> so, like, there's a contradiction there that I don't think can be ignored. But there's the fact of I've known you for 15 years. You're my friend. This is an excuse to talk to my friend at length in a way that we normally just don't get to do because we're both so busy. And so I do think that there is um, a little bit of priority, classic Yu-Gi-Oh word, uh, when it comes to talking to people that you already know. And I think that's fair and understandable to a point. I still really want to talk to those other podcasts. I, I love talking. For a living i don't know if you know this about me but if you look at my painting videos they're like three hours long each and it's just me talking about art so yeah i i do think that again sometimes you know people and things like this happen i'd like to note to the audience uh, i know that i've tripped over a couple more than a couple words on this i pulled an all-nighter last night trying to get some work done i had a two-hour nap and I'm doing my best here. But the fact that I had to pull an all-nighter last night to get the work done that I needed to um, speaks to the fact that I don't really have time for anything. But mm-hmm. David's great friend and, you know, I love this podcast and I, I needed to make time for it. Um, so it, it just goes to show that while people may want to do podcasts, they might they might just not have time. Uh, if, if for people who don't see this because this is not broadcast with uh, video, I'm like doing major fist pumps over here, <laughs> a la like doc, like Doctor Mario you would see in the old games. I'm doing those kind of fist pumps right now <laughs> when you said all of that. Yes, I mean it. Because I mean it. <laughs> oh, and man, man, you know, I know you love my work, and you know that I love your work, man. And that's that's what we do. We'll, we'll build each other up, and we'll we'll keep going from there, man. And uh, I, I don't bring this up for my own little vanity, but I I, I hope you enjoyed the the gift I sent you a couple months yes. ago. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about this. So anybody right. who watched up. my series knows that I'm a big fan of heroes. Love those GX archetypes. Played them at my first regionals. Played them. At my second regional, it's only only been to three since I've been back. So pretty big fan. And it was really the deck I chose to re-enter the game with. I picked up two Ultimate Stratos because it's the heart and soul of the deck. You know, it is so much nostalgia. Airblade, Turbo, incredible decks like Teledad ran it. And I just, I, I couldn't find the third in Canada. It's pretty difficult sometimes to find ultimate rares uh, specifically mm-hmm. because we can't order the majority of the cards that are on sites like TCG player cards like OTS ultimates can't be put up on sites like troll and toad until X number have come out. So things like that are in strange scarcity. Like even if you have the money, sometimes you just can't find the card and I only had two. Obviously, I'm playing three Stratos in the E-Hero deck. David and I, we do the podcast. And I don't I don't really know how he knows that I only have two and that I've been looking for a third. But he asked me right after. And he's like, hey, what's uh, what's your current address? I, I want to send you a little something. Just, just, it's just, it's small. It doesn't matter. It's okay. Just, what's your address? And so I, I give it to him. Obviously, I love David. I trust David. And then, you know, a week later, open this package, expecting something silly, maybe like a, a sign common from the past. We have some history with uh, gladiator beasts and gravekeepers. I thought maybe it had something to do with that. But no, it's, <laughs> it's the third ultimate rare Stratos, which I've been looking for. And I just, I haven't been able to find. So he completed my playset free of charge. Um, just absolutely wonderful, dude. I mean, I, I was so <laughs> taken back 
when I opened that up. Uh, couldn't believe it. And the fact, like, the fact that you knew, it, it meant that, like, you were obviously tuning into the series. You were aware of kind of what was occurring. And it was just that attention to detail, the fact that we hadn't, like, talked about it, but you, you knew, you went out of your way to send it. You sent it to me for free. Like, mm-hmm. man, it was, um, it was incredibly thoughtful. It's something that I'm going to keep forever. And, yeah, you know, that's, uh, it goes to show that it's a 15 year old friendship, right? Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah. So I, I've had that stratus for, for quite some time and I, I couldn't, uh, get rid of it because of its like astronomically high price that it was. I remember like, this is Canadian prices, mind you. It was at like maybe like 40 at one point. Then it like shot up to like 80 bucks, which would probably be around like maybe like 60, 70 American. And then all of a sudden it went like a hundred Canadian, which we're seeing like maybe like mm-hmm. 85, 80, like American, which was like insane and ridiculous. And like, I had people who were interested in it, but like, we don't want to pay that price. And I'm like, I completely understand. And I, I, I don't blame you one bit. So, you know, and I, after going through like the, the, the regionals that we, we kind of saw each other on, cause I helped you get B roll for mm-hmm. one. And like, I knew that we were kind of like building that, like that, that intimate relationship that we had before, before like you kind of like left Belleville and like stopped playing Yu-Gi-Oh for a bit. And then kind of came back to it. Like you were one of my like really good friends and like a really good rival when I came to Belleville to visit to play. And I thought, you know, why not like this thing is just rotting in my binder. Why I may as well do something with it and give it to somebody who I know who will make more use of it than I would. And I knew that, okay, right. I think, I think Ryan would enjoy the Stratos more than I ever would. So I'm like, let's send it off to him. Let's give it to him as a, as a show of like good, good faith and friendship. Like, let's do it. And like, I, I'm, and I'm so glad that like it completed your set and I'm so happy that you got it. So that's, that was the reasoning why behind why I decided to send that Stratos to you. If, if you didn't know. Yeah. I, so I thought I'd clear that. I didn't, but man, so thoughtful. So kind. Like really, <laughs> really thank you. I, I was looking, like I was honestly looking for that. For quite some time, I had talked to all of the local shops. Nobody had it in stock. And I guess I should have just talked to you. But I, I couldn't find it. And so when you sent it to me, uh, when I hadn't talked about it, when I hadn't requested, it was just like such a such a wonderful thing that, I, again, I'm always going to be so grateful for. And uh, I'm, gl- I'm glad it's, it's made you happy because I would rather give it away to someone else who would be much more happy with it than just kind of rot away in my binder and I'd be like kind of mech about it. So I, I knew that you were playing Heroes of the Time because I remember that was you did your videos. That's what I saw at the regionals that we you were playing during those during uh, November and in January. We had those like two very quick regionals. Mm-hmm. So I thought he's going to do a lot better with it <laughs> than I will. So let's give it to him. And sure enough, it it, it did its job and I'm very happy that you enjoyed my little gift that I gave. I I love gifted cards in Yu-Gi-Oh. I think that often they are things that people keep forever or they mm-hmm. sell when they absolutely need to and it's safe and it gets them yep. out of a jam. In both scenarios, I think that it, it, it's just such a great gift in our community. We have a guy that both David and I know quite well named Roy and Essentially, every card he gets, he keeps. If it's from his friends, yes. then it is in his binder forever, and it is a memory of that person. And I have so much respect for that general way of being. Uh, when I got back into the game, he showed me cards that I had either gave him or traded him way back in, like, 2006, right? 
like 14 yeah. years ago at this point. And it was really cool to see those. It was cool to see that he cared so much about it. I think it really strengthened that bond. We um we recently had one of our longstanding locals members leave our area, uh, Gareth. He was always a Cyber Dragon player. Loved him. He was there week one when I returned to Yu-Gi-Oh. He was always like incredibly supportive, incredibly thoughtful. Every game I played with him was just all smiles, regardless of who was winning or who was losing. And when he left, I gave him an ulti first Cyber Dragon because it was his favorite deck and and it was something of mine that he always really cared a lot about. So again, it's that same idea of gifting Yu-Gi-Oh cards because you know they're going to mean a lot and people are, they're going to keep them forever they're always going to remind you of them and it's just it's such a such a wonderful thing so again thank you Billy, for it, it, continuing that of course I, I wanted to clear that up because i figured that was something that uh that was maybe tickling your mind at, at some point in time it was like why would i give randomly out of nowhere give you a strata so i thought i'd clear that up for you now so now now that the cat's out of the bag <laughs> and now you know why it's <laughs> so i'll give one quick anecdote about what we're about the same thing we're, we're going on before we sign off um i have a rainbow karibo mm. in my binder secret rare first ed and that is from i have it from him because so uh at the ycs toronto 2015 i was playing necros and i i was working a job where i i was working 60 hour weeks and i couldn't play a lick of you mm. And then I finally got like, oh, I got a week off. I took a week off and I did, I just did nothing but Necros training for every day as long <laughs> as I could on leading up to the event. And the morning of, I went to Bo and we, we went, we walked through the deck a little bit more and we kept playing and we kept testing. He gave me some extra tips that helped me out. And sure enough, I topped like I topped like 32 my first YCS. I was an eighth after Swiss. I won my top 32 matchup. Got knocked out by Cotton in top 16. Of course. Yeah, because <laughs> it's Cotton. Because it's Cotton. Even at my best, I got beat by Cotton. Uh, but he was like a big catalyst in like really helping me too. As long as like along with uh, another guy named Andrew Pham. He also really helped me out too. So I'm not going to take any credit away from him. But Bo also really helped me out that morning too. And it wasn't for him that morning. I definitely wouldn't have topped because he, he gave me a couple of tips that helped me out of a couple of jams. So I gave him one of my secret rare gate mint gate guardians, because that's my card. Cause that's my name. Gate guardian 44. I gave him one. So the next time we saw each other, he gave me a rainbow Karibo and I'm pretty sure he still kept hitting the gate guardian. I gave him and same with the rainbow Karibo. So that's kind of the bond card that we have with each other now. So yeah, it, giving cards to each other like that, there's definitely like a, a, a huge sentiment behind it. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely keep all the cards that people give me, give to me as like a gift for like, it doesn't matter how mm -hmm. good the card is. It doesn't matter. It can be a terrible card. I couldn't care. You gift it to me with like a lot of like sentiment and a lot of goodwill behind it. I'm going to keep it. And I definitely have with Bo Tang. So that's my quick little story with him. And I love Bo to this day. 
invited me to his wedding. I had so much fun there, and I can't wait to have dinner with him because he said, if I go to Toronto, <laughs> dinner would be on him. So, of course, we're going to go, but the guy's an engineer. The guy's a smart cookie, and same with his wife, Jessica. They're both the same engineering class. Fantastic couple, and uh, I was honored to be at the wedding, and I'd love to be at that same little Yu-Gi-Oh table, which uh, Team Samurai was with me And well. for those of you who are listening right now, and you're like, ooh, I also love Botang, guess what? There is a podcast which David has on his channel. It is 55 minutes. It is fantastic. And you can yep. listen to them chat there too. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> again, it's amazing what a roster you have. And, again, it's a, it's a great sentiment as well. And, uh, and I hope to get uh, such a more, more amazing people on my podcast. I've had a lot of fun talking to every single person. And, of course, you're the first person that's – uh, returned on my podcast so that's pretty awesome too a nice little accomplishment for yourself that i thought who's the man who knows my channel the best outside of myself it's it's buggles because <laughs> he keeps telling me all the time once he loves my I channel do. so much and again we've had that long outstanding friendship so i thought hey why not be the perfect person to to kind of go over with me what has been an unprecedented 2020 in Yu-Gi-Oh, but I think we kind of ran its course on everything about it, the, the the timeline of it, the the wonderful people that have kind of sparked themselves in, in this year, and you know we and we have a uh, we have some stuff for the future, hopefully, as some recommendations you've given me, and of course, eventually when we make when we see now that we have your return back in its full full force. And that now you're doing your own sealed play series, which the first episode is already out. If you go to Ruggles' channel, it's on there. Um, again, we'll have you back again for sure to see how that all that transpired and the whole entire process of it as it unfolds. And then maybe, you know, talk to you when things open up, see how you've done uh, in uh, competitive events now that you're like fully back into the game. So definitely we'll have you back again for sure. Well, Ruggles. thank you. And I would just like to quickly, quickly mention, I know we're doing the sign-off. But the series is yep. myself and Mario from Mario's Gaming World, longtime friend of David and, again, myself. He has a channel. He's an incredible guy. I love him like a brother. Like, honestly, Mario, I, I feel like we've always known each other really well, but especially over the last mm -hmm. year, like, like brothers. So, yeah, shout out to Mario mm -hmm. as well. Absolutely love the guy. He's a guy who will have to be on this podcast at some point. And, um, Mario's yeah. gaming world. So, yep. but thank you, thank you, David. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on, man. So that is the year in review of 2020. What a year it has been! Completely unprecedented. Who'd have thought we'd ever have a year like this? But you know what? There definitely has been some positives, and we definitely put a lot of them out here today on the on this year in review episode. The final, the second last episode of the year and i'm gonna spoil it now for if you've actually made it to the end of the video a christmas special i have the one and only simo coming onto my podcast that's right i am excited we've already recorded it so it will be ready to go for you on december 23rd but just before new year's sorry christmas eve so that way you can get your fix before you go have to spend uh, the holidays with your family if uh, COVID-19 prevents it. And that is the year in review with Ryan O'Rourke, a.k.a. Ruggles. Subscribe to him if you haven't already. Ryan, thank you so much for joining me for this year in review episode. Thank you for having me. Always a pleasure. And I can't wait to be back.